Let's roll. In five, four, three. This is four friends by Dope. <laughs> there you go. Good start, buddy. saying this is four friends fight about film a podcast about movies and things that are more important than movies if we ever find any today's episode is a trip way back in time to 2017 hudson would you like to explain why we're doing best of 2017 (laughs) well we talked about what's the best years for movies and we really decided that two years ago (laughs) hudson what was life like in 2017 well back in 2017 we were planning the third season of this podcast and wanted to do the best of the year that we were in and now it's two years later and we have not here we are third season you know but we just need an excuse to choose some movies and Mm-hmm. Gab. We're just going to own it. We're going to pretend like, you know what? We're, we'll just do every year. Yeah, I mean, it's, give a, year, something, it's a year in movies. Give something modern to watch. Oh, the last time people heard from us, it was 2017. A lot of times we talk about older films on here. Some people just don't watch older films. <laughs> this is really one of those <laughs> older years. <laughs> <laughs> to kick us off, say your name and what was the most disappointing or worst movie of 2017. Jordan. Oh, my name's Jordan. And the script says, I didn't watch many movies in 2017, so Ghostbusters again. But I didn't write that. And (laughs) it's also not true. Absolutely, hands down, it. Oh, you're nuts. Whoa. They ruined it. They threw it away. They made so much money. Okay, Gibby, that's not a good response. They made a lot of money, so what? Now I'm I'm agreeing with Jordan. Yep. (laughs) Thank you, Gibby. Did it. I turned him. Gibby? Yes, this is Kyle KTG Gibson. The most disappointing movie. Well, I would have said Justice League. It was terrible, but I wasn't really disappointed because I didn't expect it to be good. Uh, I'd say probably the most disappointed I was was after Wonder Woman. And maybe that's just because I saw it about two to four weeks after it came out and everybody was raving about it. And I went and watched it. And Marvel yeah, fanboy. That's what it was. Marvel fanboy. The last so 20 minutes were terrible. Unpopular opinion. And that I mean, ending well, shot. Ugh. You are awfully sexist as well. You're Sexy. always like, oh, why do That's women right. have to have their own superheroes? It's so dumb. Yeah, what That's what you were saying. I remember right you before saying we started that. recording, never you were that. talking about that. I remember you saying What's that. next? They want to vote? <laughs> Lance. Superhero women win a vote. Uh, this is Lance. I'm gonna preface mine the same as Gibby. I don't know if it was. I don't know. I just I don't like what they're doing with Star Wars right now. So Star Wars: The Last Jedi. I what? Thought, I thought that movie sucked. That movie is great. Oh, no, it was, it was awesome. That's super close to so making stupid. Gibby's list. Really? Your best of 2017? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. I debated oh, it. Was horrid. Well, to be fair, Gibby only saw like 65 of the movies that came out in 2017. <laughs> yeah. So, so my least favorite movie by far was uh, the. Well, Sur- this, this it's most disappointing. Oh. Well, no. Worst or most disappointing. Was both. My name is Hudson. This movie, The Circle, <laughs> that I was, you know, I wasn't expecting a ton out of it. But it's like a Dave Eggers book. It's Emma Watson. It's Tom Hanks. It's this cool kind of like sci-fi drama thriller thing. I mean, it was god awful. Yeah, it was, was it that bad? It was by far the worst thing I saw in yeah, theaters. It didn't and look it's great. like it has all these great ideas, and it just didn't tell a story. Like it was just kind of mm-hmm. there. It had Tom Hanks Ugh. with a cool beard. Yeah, Tom Hanks is. Uh, He's kind of underrated. He's a little underrated. <laughs> could it, could anybody have made that movie better by playing that role better? Apparently. All right, we asked you guys on Facebook and Twitter to name some of your favorite films of 
2017 going way back machine and here are some of your responses let's see i'll do uh dylan moore here three billboards and ladybird for sure <laughs> also we'll toss in the aforementioned spider-man homecoming thor ragnarok the florida project murder on the orient express patriot's day 2017 was pretty strong actually what is patriot's day <laughs> It is a movie Football about movie? Boston bombing. It's a movie, uh, with, it's a movie with Mark Wahlberg in it. Okay? Mark, Mark Wahlberg. He's really serious. His okay. boy awesome. Peter Berg. I don't even remember uh, that movie at all. I really want you to like this movie, okay? I didn't, the, I didn't see the Florida bombs, Project. Okay? Did you guys see Florida, no, Florida I didn't Project? See Florida Project. But I no, actually I agree great. with them that 2017 was pretty it. strong. I'm looking at my list of movies and they're great. Murder on the Orient Express was excellent. It was all right. Did you understand anything that the Kenneth Branagh guy said? Yes. You're better than me. For real? Yeah, for real. All right, uh, Gibby, you want to take this one? Sylvain Fernandez says, Logan, get out. Gerald's. (laughs) Gerald? Gerald's game. Gerald Jame. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Yeah. And the Florida Project were my favorites. Missed a lot of stuff that year. We're running out of voices, I think. We really are. That's two for the Florida Project so far. Florida Project. I've heard great things, I just haven't seen it. I had a list of voices. Really liking all these movies. Uh, Lance, you got one there? It's Nicole Breyer Bryan. I would Ben said and I would add get out. Here's what Ben said. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Lady Bird and I, Tanya, were actually the only ones I loved last year. Wait, who's Ben? I don't know who, who Ben well, is. Ben made a comment before Nicole, and Nicole oh. agreed with Ben's comment. Oh, we didn't like Ben's comment, except that we then repeated <laughs> we Ben's comment it. anyway. <laughs> oh, so Nicole didn't say all of that. No. Well, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, she agreed with Ben and yes. also added "get out." Right. We uh, are smart. Three yes. <laughs> we will talk about quite a few of these. We're naming. Yeah, here. we're hitting a lot of things that we, we selected, are. so yeah. we're all on the same page. Good job, audience. Yeah. Chris Adams said Dunkirk was my favorite. Honorable mentions to Paddington Two and Coco. It's rare I see non-kid movies in the theater these days. Jumanji was a surprise too. Just for the record, Chris, Paddington Two was uh, 2008. Who burn Chris? Chris. Come on, Chris. Chris Come you're on. as dumb as I am. Chris, Come on. Chris, you're better than this. Buddy. I can't get it right either. I also agree that Jumanji was a surprise and probably the most fun I had in the heard, theater that year. I heard wow. it was a really good movie. It's it was great. pretty fun. It's really funny. All right, if you want your favorites right on the show, you can leave your comments at facebook.com slash fightaboutfilm or at fightaboutfilm on Twitter. Gibby, you have something here about the top five movie box office? Yes, so just to get you guys reacquainted. Is that really necessary? Well, if people are listening to this from two years, they're thinking, what what was 2017? So I here's a quick recap. I think it's important for the show to have a who the hell cares segment. So go for it, Deb. <laughs> quick recap of what happened at the 217 movie-wise. Top five films of domestic boss office were Last Jedi, Beauty and the Beast, Wonder Woman, Jumanji, and Guardians of the Galaxy 2. The Best Picture winner at the Academy Awards, Shape of Water. Ooh. And Guillermo del Toro won Best Director, Francis McDormand Best Actress, and Gary Oldman Best Actor. Why do you pull those things? Why does it have to be like the highest grossing and the Oscars? What about like the top five indies? He only cares about money. Number one, A Bad Mom's Christmas. Number two, 47 Meters Down. Number three, <laughs> The Big Sick. Number four, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Number five, The Foreigner. How many of you guys saw those? Were these Valerian box cost like office for independent film? Yeah. yeah, all those movies cost a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, saw, I saw Valerian. It was terrible looking, it was, right? It's one of the more imaginative films I've ever seen and also not that good. <laughs> but it's worth watching, actually. Uh, how about this? The number one U.S. physical and digital rental, 2017. You guys know what it was? Uh, Coco. The Accountant. Oh, how, yeah. about that? how about that? Yeah. This is riveting stuff. Also, yeah. the number of U.S. movie screens riveting declined in 2017 by 358 screens. Well, how about that? Let's, For the uh, seven people who are still listening, why don't we uh, keep? Why don't we keep going? So to recap, 
We are doing yeah. our top movies That's of 2017. Like theaters. And let's start yeah. with Jordan Noel, your number three. Jojo. Raw, the unflinching, uncompromising, stunning feature debut from writer-director Julia Duke. Du Corneau. Du Corneau, her name? <laughs> no. I don't think so. <laughs> no. It's part of the long-running wave of hardcore French horror films. It's about a young vegetarian woman who starts vet, vet school and develops a rather strong taste for human flesh. And uh, hijinks ensue. <laughs> Just kidding. More like horror and tension and drama and super intelligent filmmaking ensue. Raw is an incredible exploration of youth, cannibalism, sexuality, sisterhood, and I guess also veterinary school. Many of the scenes are so expertly crafted that it's hard to believe that it's a directorial feature debut. While it is shocking in multiple scenes throughout the film, it's never in excess. And it's all in service of the story and the tone and the power of the film. I had heard a fair bit of hype, unfortunately, before I saw it, but the movie exceeded all of that. And not only that, but I loved it even more the second time I watched it. It's much, much more than just a horror film. It's a brilliant and thoughtful journey into a world you've likely never imagined. I saw this the year it came out. The best horror films are the ones that tap into some deeper thing. I think you nailed it. It's about this girl growing up. It's about, I mean, it deals with like vegetarianism. It deals with, it, it throws all of these things in a blender. And it, <laughs> was that, was that? <laughs> Playing work? Um, uh, it was probably too much cooking yeah. for her. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, she liked it raw. And, and what comes out on the other end is was really interesting. Is that, movie. Now is that a pun? What? What comes out on the other end? Oh God, this is getting gross. <laughs> because what you eat comes out later. Yeah. And poop. <laughs> yeah, we gotta give. Gibbs <laughs> going red again, using his red material. <laughs> Um, Red Band Gibby. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I thought this was a really great movie. I thought that it did a good job of how it punctuated certain moments with violence. It wasn't just gross and disgusting yeah. more throughout. But, Which but, a lot of that French wave of horror yeah, tends to do. They're very good at that. They don't They don't just go for the blood and guts immediately. It's very intellectual, um, very well-paced, really fun movie to watch. Maybe fun's not the right word. I don't know. I mean, I but maybe fun. it is. Maybe you Maybe you could call it that. But yeah, there was, there's so many thematics going on here that even by the end of it, I was like, I need to go back and watch that again because mm-hmm. I, I feel like I probably didn't really get everything. But yeah, very good pick. Yeah, really, really smart movie and beautifully shot. Absolutely gorgeous. And all the performances are great and they're all, like, there's no one, I think there's anyone in it that I'd seen in anything else and yeah I mean it's it's a bunch of I think newcomers I mean you know like you said it's a French film what was funny to me about it was this is a school like a college for butchers well it's a veterinary school oh was it a veterinary okay got it sorry I'm I'm you didn't watch a little lazy no I have seen it that's why the Um, sister is like shoulder deep in the right cow butt half the movie (laughs) yeah I don't know (laughs) Well, we had it. We had a conversation yesterday, actually, about what talk about what a really interesting, unique setting for a horror mm-hmm. movie would be, That's and cool. this is yeah. one. Yeah. I mean, this was a really good one. We had a hard time coming up with them. Cause, I mean, yeah. Think of all the movies we've seen. We didn't even think about cow's butt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so no, great pick. And I often do think about. That. <laughs> uh, Jordan, uh, Jordan plot keyword check. IMDb yes. plot oh, keyword check. Cannibalism, sister sister relationship. Oh. Severed finger, vomiting, covered in blood, older sister, younger sister, rivalry. Pretty interesting. Boyfriend murdered, hell huh. week, biting lips. At all. So if you guys are interested, it didn't mention like the Brazilian wax scene or like the buckets of blood or cow butt, bite, <laughs> the, the bite fight, eating own hair. Oh, there uh, is bite mark on arm. I, huh. I have recommended this movie to a lot of people. and um, Do they like it? I don't think anyone has watched it that I recommend. <laughs> it seems it's, like it's going to be a hard watch. 
Well, people ah, it's, it's done so know. well. It's yeah. not. It's not a. It's not a like a martyr situation. Yeah. It's, it's not this like just gross out thing. It like really serves the story. Well, there are reports the, of people like passing out and of course screenings and stuff. It's not it's disturbing like, like that. It's it's disturbing on a on a deeper level. And that, there are gory scenes. There are shocking moments. But it's not. You come out and you can't sleep for three days. Yeah. I mean, it's not that type of movie. You know what's funny? Under the more like this under IMDb, Martyrs, Green Room, Neon Demon. Okay, we're all we're, movies which made not, your list. Right. Great movies. We've, we've clearly entered the part of the summer where we just start reading from IMDb. So why don't we why don't we move along? <laughs> Neon Demon and Aspiring Miles. Yep. Here's we'll another it. thing I read. All right, Gibby, you're up next. So my top three for this year are actually not the three I'm going to talk about. Love these prefaces. Sorry, because we've talked about two of them in prior episodes, being Thor Ragnarok Say the name and of your War for the movie. Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Say the name of your movie. <laughs> So my actual number three movie of 2017 is a movie we've already discussed, Thor Ragnarok, because HB has arbitrary <laughs> rules about yeah. not letting us discuss <laughs> movies we've already talked about. I was forced to pick another one. And that movie is The Post, Best Picture nominee, directed by some guy named Steve Spellyberg. Newcomer. Yep. Maybe you've heard of him. I don't know. Starring an always underrated Tom Hanks and uh, Meryl Streep. Tom Hanks is not underrated in this movie. No, he's he's okay in this movie. He is. However you rate Tom I, Hanks in this I movie, jo- I right. like to joke with you a lot yeah. about, you know, oh, could... Could anybody have done this better than anybody Tom Hanks? could have done it? I literally think anyone could have done a better yeah. job than, he, than he Tom would, Hanks in this movie. He's not the main draw of this movie, but you and, know who is? Yeah, We're Merle Streep, Jesse Plemons, Jesse Plemons. Is so he in first, this? Yeah. he's in this. <laughs> of course, he is. Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, so, for the first time in the history of our wonderful podcast, I'm going to read the actual IMDb synopsis of this movie wow. instead of just telling you what I thought happened in it. That's because it's been so long since I've seen the movie, I kind of forgot what it's about. I hope Lance is listening. Washington Post owner Kay Graham is still adjusting to taking over her late husband's business when editor Bren Bradley discovers the New York Times has scooped them with an explosive expose on those papers. Determined to compete, Post reporters find Ellsberg himself and complete copy of the papers. However, the Post plans to publish their findings or put in jeopardy. Whatever. Basically, it's about, it's about papers. I'm wondering at what point people are going to stop listening to the podcast because they realize they can just go to IMDb and get the same information <laughs> on their own. We're, yeah, about, to, we're about to have some opinions. Yeah. Okay. I think that I love this movie because it's very well written, very acted, very well shot, and it's a little bit self-important, but I think it does a good job of showing how important a free press is in um, society. And it seemed a little bit timely, especially when it came out a couple of years ago. But I love the character of Kay Graham, played by Meryl Streep. Uh, she just begins the movie totally unsure of herself and is questioned constantly throughout the film is for her worth as a businesswoman and an owner but I just love the journey that she took during the film and I think there's a great quote from the Bren Badley character about her but Kay Kay's in a position she never thought she'd be in position I'm sure plenty of people don't think she should have and when you're told time and time again that you're not good enough that your opinion doesn't matter as much when they don't just look past you, when to them, you're not even there. When that's been your reality for so long, it's hard not to let yourself think it's true. So to make this decision, to risk her fortune and the company that's been her entire life, well, I think that's brave. Meryl Streep's great in this, and I think her character is interesting, and I think the the empowerment and the gender issues in it are really interesting and done pretty well because Meryl Streep is so good. But as a newspaper movie, and we all know I fetishize newspaper movies, Mm -hmm. I thought it just completely failed. Really? Huh. I love the newspaper part of this movie. 
Newspaper movies to me, great newspaper movies are about like the, the reporter, oftentimes the small reporter chasing the big story. It's about telling the story in the face of power and, you know, overwhelming odds. Like think of all the president's men. They're reporting on this thing that's way bigger than them. And like there's real risk there. And this well, movie, there's real risk here. They were, well, they were told there, during the there is. Day. But to me, this movie was rich and powerful people making hard decisions, which are the right decisions. I mean, obviously to, you know, report the things that should be reported but in order it felt to me to keep their wealth and their power and I can't relate with that and I don't care like to me it just felt like these rich and powerful people trying to hold on to what they have instead of fighting the man that's a fair point I think maybe a better way to say it what I think you're saying is you were not interested in this aspect of the newspaper world because I, th- I think it's an interesting angle because I agree with you I'd, if I had my choice I'd rather watch All the President's Men but this was interesting I mean this was and yeah it's rich and powerful people about keeping but that's a, th- those are high stakes I mean they like, are but it, but it felt like the, there was an obvious choice to make and to watch her and them like walk over whether to do the right thing or not was was well, kind of gross just to because me. there's an obvious choice to make doesn't mean that it's an easy choice to no make. no i i will give it that it was hard to make that choice and even brave but like not in a way that i needed to watch a movie about i, I also don't know that it's i don't mean to like criticize you here but i don't, oh, also don't know okay. that it's totally fair to say they were rich and powerful therefore it was just about keeping their power and richness i think that's they, just how i mean meryl saying... streep had total like journalistic integrity she cared about i think part of her concern too was if i lose this paper i don't get to continue to you know just other people in power and, and, and to keep people I, th- I don't know I think there was a little more ethic tied to it than maybe I agree with that it just felt I, I, I mean I know it's easy to kind of vilify the rich and powerful I think but there's still people there's more to it than absolutely than, you know I understand it was hard to make the, or hard, hard to go with the right decision but it was just so clearly the right decision that it wasn't it, there weren't the stakes didn't didn't resonate with me I, I really connected with this movie and really loved it but it's it's the kind of movie that it's that Spielberg has kind of done lately where it's just it's a little too safe and it's a little too forgettable yeah. and like I loved it when I walked out of the theater and then I, I'll never revisit it it's it's that kind of thing you that, know that's kind of what I wanted to get into Spielberg's career is, has taken kind of an interesting turn over the past 20 years I would say really probably post Saving Private Ryan and that's not to say there aren't some great movies after that but the first half of his career he made classics like great movies that will be watched and beloved for years and years to come and I feel like now he makes really good movies not mind-blowing not things that will necessarily be making top hundred lists decades from now but they're good and that's kind of what the post represents to me it tells an interesting story it does it well I enjoyed it while I was watching it but past that meh you know. Well, this was actually my number six, at least, movie of the year. Yeah, we don't, don't need, apologize for it. Own it. Own it. There's this. There's this. I want to talk about. There's a scene towards the end of the movie that's just awesome that I've never seen in a movie before. Uh, is when they fire up like the old printing press and it shows like the details of how that. That worked. is cool. That yeah, was awesome. that was really, was really cool. cool. Um, and this also was Spielberg. I think is known in some instances for working fast, but the way that they worked on this is insane. From the script started being written to the final cut being done was a total of nine months, which is insanely fast for yeah. a movie of this size with these actors. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, it's also the first collaboration between Spielberg and Meryl Streep. Seems like they would have worked together over the years. That's interesting. Was and it the first between Spielberg and Odenkirk? Because I thought he was the shining Bobby O performance. In he, the was, Jesse he was Plemons great. In it. He was awesome. Jesse Plemons was good. I don't even remember Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, don't think he was uh, in this one. He's in so many movies. He Here. just disappears in the background. HP, trivia time. Oh, what's up? Hanks and Spielberg. Mm-hmm done five movies together including this one what's the other four no idea uh saving private ryan catch me if you can um what was the one the wall the cold war bridge of uh, spies bridge over the river kwai bridge of spies yeah 
One and, more. Um, yeah, I don't remember the fifth one. Tom Hanks had a fun accent in it. Catch me if you can. Oh, no, no you the that. airport, the terminal. Terminal, he did uh, it. Wow. Trivia time. Riveting, yeah. riveting oh. stuff, folks. Riveting <laughs> stuff. <laughs> no, people can play along at home. Yeah. I didn't even play along here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lance, you're number three. All right, my first pick this evening is the rom-com drum, <laughs> The Big Sick. Follows Kamal, a Pakistani-American living in Chicago who works as an Uber driver while pursuing his dream of being a stand-up comic. Constantly dealing with the pressures placed upon him by his parents to get married and tolerating their attempts at setting up an arranged marriage. He meets Emily, a young grad student who positively heckles him during one of his sets. They begin dating and a relationship forms, forcing Kamal to face fears of disownment by his family. The stakes are raised when Emily comes down with a grave illness, further complicating an already difficult situation. So obviously, if you listen to the show, you know this is not the genre of film I'd usually go for. But it makes my list because it's... It's such an in- untraditional rom-com. The cultural conflict stuff feels a little rehashed, but it's not cumbersome and it's still played really, really well. But what separates the film is how frankly it confronts illness and the impact it has on a relationship. That's really serious territory. It's hard to balance with a comedy about falling in love. Whatever film can balance such disparate elements and tell an even more powerful story in the process, I really respect it. One thing the film did for me is it helped me see why I typically don't like romantic comedies. And the reason is because to me, romantic comedies are usually the story of a couple of people who look like supermodels and and pretty and have pretty awesome lives already having yet another amazing thing happen to them. I often find the love element to be just another great thing and an already list of great things for these people. Like if you're the beautiful editor of a fashion magazine with a six-figure salary living in Manhattan, you know, you're probably fine. If this guy doesn't work out, one of the next 20 will. But this film is about two people who are just... This one's about two people that were so ugly. <laughs> I, I'm trying to say this carefully. They're not ugly, obviously, but they're normal. They're average looking. Yeah. They're dealing with a lot of difficulty and pain in their lives. Okay, and they, unibrows. Okay. <laughs> Just like everybody else. <laughs> the stars, they're just like us. <laughs> they're Pakistani like everyone else. They're dealing with pain in their lives and how this relationship and the potential of falling in love both enhances and complicates their lives. And that was really, really refreshing and fun to watch. It just felt like it gave it stake. Like you wanted this to work out for them because yeah. you just did. One of the pretty well-known facts about this film is that it's based on the true story of the lead actor's life. and was actually written mm-hmm. by him and his wife about their courtship. So all of this is, is heavily based in reality. I don't think it's like identical, but they took some creative license. But the fact you're seeing this, the actual story written by the two people who lived it and being played by one of them really kind of added some weight to it. Yeah. One thing I think you undersold in your discussion there is just how funny this movie is. So, uh, 9-11. No, I mean, I've always wanted to have a conversation with, about it, with people. You've never talked to people about 9-11? No, what's your, what's your stance? What's my stance on 9-11? Oh, um, anti. It was a tragedy. I mean, we lost 19 of our best guys. Huh? That was a joke, obviously. 9-11 was a terrible tragedy. And it's not funny to joke about it. I mean, it's legit laugh out loud on multiple occasions. It is very funny. It is. No, didn't disagree with that. We're talking very seriously about how funny it is. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I think I'm not hitting that. I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of funny things in some rom-coms. I, but that's not what separated this movie to me. It was very, very funny. Don't get me wrong. And you're right. I'm, I, don't, I don't mean to make it sound overly serious. But there's a lot of funny movies. This was a movie that was funny while dealing with some really heavy-handed stuff. And I really, to me, that's what made it stand out. I was really surprised at how well done this movie Same. was. I was too. I didn't love it. It, it, still, it still played into way too many of the usual rom-coms. 
rom-com things for me. And it's only my second favorite movie about a love interest in a coma. While you were sleeping. Yeah, that's my, you're, you're right, Gibby. But I really, really enjoyed it. I was a little disappointed because I'd heard about the movie and heard generally what it was about before I saw it. And I was hoping that we'd get more of the, of like them dealing with the illness together. Yeah. You don't get that at all, <laughs> yeah. which, which I was hopeful for. And, and maybe disappointed isn't the right word, but like I was hopeful for that. And then that's not where the story went. And that's, right. that's okay. One of the really interesting elements of it that, that he's talked about too is how he, you know, because he like, he one of the interesting elements, he's like struggling with his faith during it. Is he still a Muslim? Mm-hmm. He thinks he's like an agnostic now. He doesn't know how to tell that to his family. It, it, there's there's just one weighty issue after another being dealt, dealt with here. One thing he talked about in writing this was he felt like Muslims were portrayed as being really serious in every movie, which is so true. Mm-hmm. But when's the last time you saw a, you know Muslims right. being funny or right. telling a joke in a movie? They're not. I mean, he really wanted to change that, and he did a great job of that. Yeah, like the family is really fun to watch, Absolutely. and their their banter and their interplay is great. They're normal people with senses of humor and yeah. struggles and hopes and dreams and all that stuff, and we don't get that level of detail. Kind of each of the setups that that they did, like the little world. So like the his family, the the Muslim aspect of that was really fun to watch and sort of sit in and learn about. And then also the like backstage comic stuff of like mm-hmm. the small town comics and watching. I mean, especially just like ha- they do that. It feels like they do that like every night of the week, which I think it's awesome showing like how hard they work on that. And then the relationship stuff. But and this movie just feels tailor made for me. I mean, from I'm a longtime Michael Showalter fan, you know, Kamel from seeing him on Silicon Valley. Yeah, you love cancer. You're a big cancer fan. <laughs> <laughs> Ray Romano, who I think is fantastic in this. Here's a joke. No, Terry no. Dunn. Terry's about as funny as a fart at a funeral. No. <laughs> This is funny. This is a funny one. A giraffe walks into a bar and he says to the bartender, highballs on me. You get it, right? Oh, that was the end of the joke? Yeah, of course. That was the whole joke. That's the joke. That's the beauty of it. Boom. I thought there was more. But you get it. He's a giraffe. He's tall. So it would stand to reason his testicles are high. And a highball is a drink. And you ruined it by saying I wasn't funny first. That's what it was. So, of course, I love this movie. And had you not picked it, I probably would have talked about it as well for, for much of the same reasons. One of the cool kind of behind-the-scenes things I've heard in, in an interview with them is, and this is kind of a little bit of, uh, you know, geeky filmmaker stuff, but they had a cut of the film that was testing great. And then uh, Apatow had said to them, I want you to go back in and add 50 new jokes to it. So, like, either stuff that's, like, alternate takes or, like, ADR some jokes or whatever. So they did that, and then they took it and they screened it again, and it screened worse. And then he's like, okay, now take that and adjust. So there were 20 jokes that they added after they had a a cut that everybody liked that they ended keeping in there. Hmm. as a way to kind of find more material in it, which I thought yeah. was a really cool kind of process and apparently Apatow does that with all of his films. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, it's, it's I think a little longer than Yeah, it's pretty long. than most rom-coms. Yeah. But shorter Rom-coms. than most Apatow. Oh, really? Apatow's movies are long. Probably because he adds 50 long, jokes to all rom-com <laughs> drums. Uh, there's some really like hard conversations that are had in this movie too, mm-hmm. just between him and his girlfriend and the, the parents. I mean, uh, the one between him and Ray Romano when Ray Romano's sleeping in his room yeah. Yeah. and they talk about cheating. Yeah. Is it cheat, the cheating yeah. they're talking about? Yeah. It's, a, it's, yeah, it's amazing. Really just a one night stand. Okay. We met at some bar in Cincinnati. They, they have these teacher conferences. Who goes to a math conference to get laid? Math teachers? Yeah. I, I think I was depressed. That's what it was. Yeah. Let's talk about it tomorrow. OK. 
get a full night's sleep. She fresh in the morning. smelled so good. It was horrible, too. As soon as I was finished, as soon as I finished, I was like, what did you do? What did you just do? What did you do? We're at a point in our lives, or at least I am, I feel like, where I stop being, relating with the younger people and start relating with the older mm -hmm. people. And so, like, Ray Romano kind of talking about, like, he's a dad and he has to have these answers and his life's just as screwed up as the kids mm -hmm. are and he doesn't know what to, Like, I really connected with all that kind of side of things yeah. with his character. But well, it's, an, it's an interesting point, answers. too, because <laughs> in, in movies like this, like uh, we talked about in the, some other rom-com we were talking about, about how it hinges on us falling in love with the characters. We're supposed to fall in love with Emily here because she's yeah. cute mm -hmm. and she's funny and she's thoughtful and smart and awesome. But I didn't fall in love with her at all. I fell in love with Holly Hunter. So I guess that's like really showing- <laughs> Well, your love Hunter's for great. Holly Hunter? Well, I love that's Holly Will, Hunter, but like Will I just fell in love with like great. that character instead of the, the young one, so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm also making that shift of what I'm really. I felt with. like she was just pissed off the whole movie. She is she, pissed she off was. a lot, and I there's love, a really sweet scene at the very end. Too. Yeah, yeah, but I love that we get to sort of learn. Like I thought they did such a good job of that subplot of that relationship yeah. because it would have been so easy to not have that relationship have any tension in it yeah. or be like it's stressful enough for them to just have to deal with their daughter in a coma. But to like add another yeah. layer to that, I think is really smart. My favorite line in the movie, and because it happens to me quite often in life, is where Ray Romano's character says, Love, love isn't easy. That's why they call it love. I don't really get that either. I know. I thought I could just start saying something and something small would come out. <laughs> happens to me great. every day, like every <laughs> sentence I start. It's a totally Gibby, gibby line. Yeah. All right, my third pick, my favorite of 2017. That's what year we're talking about. Sure um, is. I always like to throw a bone to the little guy, so I wanted to talk about this movie called... <laughs> With Robert Redford in it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jason Siegel. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> How would the world change if there was proof of an afterlife? That's the question that kicks off my number three pick, The Discovery. This is uh, writer-director Charlie McDowell, yes, of Malcolm McDowell's Seed, also the egg of Mary Steenburgen, uh, along with co-writer... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, wait, whoa, whoa. wait, they had a Mary kid? Mary Steenburgen and Malcolm <laughs> McDowell have a, yes. wow. have a kid together? Yeah. yeah, but we're talking about a movie. So How long have they been together? Kind of yeah. I, don't think, together. I don't think they're together it's anymore. Hollywood gossip. I'm sorry, but this segment just got interesting. Okay. No, that dude looks just like Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, she's with uh, Ted Danson now. So Ted Danson is this guy's... Stepfather. Next up on Access Hollywood. <laughs> that, maybe Steinberg and that really just blew, blew my mind. <laughs> I was supposed to be an aside. It's literally in a, in parentheses. Well, it, I'm sorry. And, it just became the most interesting part of your segment. And it adds another layer to bone to the little guy. Oh yeah, just to, you know the all kid. Right. All right, going. all Keep right. Where even jokes. was I? Um, he has a co-writer named Justin Later, and they previously <laughs> are you done now? Made another one of my favorite films. <laughs> Uh, they made another movie that I loved called The One I Love. Ah, that's funny. That is. <laughs> Which fits uh, this kind of, this brand of low budget, high concept films that I adore. M many of we talked about before, Another Earth, Safety Not Guaranteed, Take Shelter. This movie follows Jason Siegel's character, Will, as he navigates the world after his father, played by Rab Robert Redford, proves the existence of an afterlife, or as he rever refers to it, a different plane of existence. And as you might imagine, this leads to millions of people taking their own lives, figuring out what's on the other side. Will returns home, which is this massive castle compound of Redford and his kind of culty followers, and really 
really gorgeous surroundings. It's Rhode Island, and it's all kind of hazy and mm-hmm. foggy. And mm-hmm. I feel like I've never really seen that world before on oh, screen. It's it really pretty. Never been there. So he he shows up via a ferry, and he meets uh like a F E R R Y or like one of the ones with the wings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a big guy. So, so <laughs> that's a strong ferry. <laughs> a boat ferry. <laughs> He meets this woman, mysterious Isla, played by Rooney Mara. <laughs> Are you done with it? <laughs> he just wants to stop. Yeah. <laughs> Don't blame him. Uh, who he later try, uh, finds trying to kill herself on the beach and ends up saving her life, much to her chagrin. He brings her back to the compound, and uh, she begins to drink the kind of Kool-Aid of the place, and the two of them start smooching. Along the way, we learn exactly <laughs> what the afterlife might look like, and it all leads up to kind of a twisty, turny, fun ending. It's, it's a real mix of kind of tones. It's got comedy and romance and mystery. Some of it's silly. Some of it's quirky. It's a little like if Charlie Kaufman remade Flatliners. And I can see how this kind of mixture of tones could be a turnoff, but ultimately, mm-hmm. <laughs> ultimately, it's a smart, moving science fiction film that does what the best of sci-fi does, uses its premise to explore deep human themes like regret and loss and love. It had some very, really interesting themes. Thank you. Totally undermined by the goofiness. It's a goofy movie? I didn't know it was goofy. It's pretty goofy. Why did I not watch it? That's all you could have done to get but me to watch it's it. Like, goofy. it's goofy. That's not, okay. that's not like, really so my question. That's what I like. I like that Gibby just blamed Hudson for not giving him more reason <laughs> to watch it. It is your fault that I didn't, I didn't watch it. seven <laughs> months to watch this movie. You keep saying proof. I don't know if I missed something in this movie, but I didn't see any proof of the afterlife. What do you have? Redford's claim that he has proof of the afterlife? Yeah, he like announced that he had found proof or found evidence i guess I, no he there was some some kind of scientific data that he had of i don't know brain waves or something moving from one spot to another i don't, I, I don't I, remember I exactly within, how it just did, felt was, really weak and then, was, and, then, I don't, I don't, and, and then we hear about four million people committing suicide because he announced yeah, that he, he just, had this i think you accept within the film that happened that was really hard for me to accept well, i mean it's not that's real you, that's not your problem really supposed to, yeah suspension of disbelief yeah you believe it because robert redford said it I mean, that is a good point, but it's just... This is one of the movies I didn't get to watch. Um, mm. cause, well, I don't think I realized until like, the day before that it was on Netflix. You told me that. I looked for it on yeah, Amazon it's a Netflix, and I couldn't uh, Netflix it. Like, purchased it, so it was a Netflix, I guess, um, original. Mm-hmm. What, what I wanted to ask was, is it almost like a post-apocalyptic thing? Like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. It feels like today. It feels like there's no difference other than it's our world where Robert Redford announced that he had found an afterlife. Okay, and, and the main character's struggle is what exactly? That he falls in love with the girl? Like, I'm trying to understand what situations that put the main it's, character it's a a little hard to talk about without spoiling things. Well, I guess you can say you learned pretty early on that Jason Siegel's mom had died. And so that's what starts Robert Redford's path towards trying to find an afterlife. He's coming home and his dad, I mean, they, he probably thinks his dad's a little crazy for doing all this. Then four million people kill themselves. Like and he's it's, bitter it's pretty, about that. Yeah, it's, it's very controversial. I mean, it's yeah. kind of like torn. I mean, I know the mom died, but like it's kind of torn the family apart or ripped him from the family at least i love the concept it's a yeah. fascinating no, concept it's cool. i agree and, you know i mean the tonal thing i love movies that explore tons of different tones and really take you on a journey and lets you laugh and lets you cry and lets you experience all the emotions so i don't have a problem with that like there there are moments that are pretty goofy like there's one where they have to go find a fresh like someone who just died and like steal a body and yeah. so it gets a little silly but i, I loved all that yeah no that's to- that you are that is right up your alley <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and the opposite direction of my alley i can deal with some of that i can suspend a lot of disbelief but like they go into this morgue to find a body and there's no cameras anywhere in this morgue like there's just like all these things that kept tripping me up and making me think of you weren't on the ride 
yeah. I would have loved to have been on the ride, but uh, I think I wanted to see more evidence and not just hear that there was some. I, I needed more from it, and it didn't. It didn't give it to me. Yeah, ultimately, film connects. Uh, if a film connects on an emotional level, you can defend it to the end of the day. If mm-hmm. you don't connect at all, then there's nothing you can do right. to, to love it. So this film for me, ultimately, by the time I got to the movie, I had connected with it so much on an emotional level with some of the story that we're not exactly talking about because it is kind of twisty. So for whatever reason, this particular film, I connected with it on an emotional level, and that's why it, it stuck with me. It, it's an interesting conversation you guys are having about tonal confusion because I, I'm with you, Hudson. I like it when a movie does that. The problem is I've only seen like two movies ever do it well. Most <laughs> of the time I see movies try to do it, it yeah. fails 99% of the time. You know, like movie, these action movies where there's this big serious action scene, people are getting killed and then they throw a joke in the middle of it. It ruins the whole scene for me. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, well I can't right. take this seriously at all anymore, so let's move to the next thing. I don't know if, is it kind of like it that? It didn't feel for, natural for to me. Right. It felt unnatural. It felt like, hey, we're going to make this kind of goofy and fun because, well, we've been serious and we need, right. we need to like inject some life into right. it or something. And to be fair, this was not a well-received film either. I mean, it's like maybe a 40% on Rotten Tomatoes or something. I mean, I certainly defend it and love it and just love these types of films in general. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to the show and you are like, oh man, I love all of Hudson's picks, then you know this would be This would be up your alley, maybe yeah. Not, maybe not for the person that loves all of Jordan's picks. So right quick, you know, usually I save this for Jordan's segments, but Are you about uh, to Hudson, read a bunch of keywords? Plot keywords. I mean, wh- how is this interesting? <laughs> there was nothing I, interesting about this. I, I if you would stop enough. talking, I'd get done with it quicker. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm the problem. Here. Yes. I'm the problem. Plot keywords for discovery. Cow butt. <laughs> Alternative reality. Playing in the surf. Playing a mouth organ. <laughs> what? I don't, I don't yeah, get like that. A, like a Jew harp. Uh, oh, that was, that was fun. Right. Jason Siegel's tall. Good yeah. fun fact. I don't necessarily have a problem with Jason Siegel, but I probably would have connected with the, this movie more if it had been someone other than him. It's I not can, that he did a yeah, bad job at I all. I think he did a great that. job, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have assigned a certain thing to him, which is certainly my yeah. fault and not his. And it just, that was a big roadblock in the and the emotional and I, I do feel like for a movie that kind of hinges a little bit on the romantic relationship, there was, I felt like there were some missing beats in their relationship as well. And not very much chemistry. Yes. All right, Jordan, number hey. t- two. My number two pick best of 2017 is The Square. I've never seen a movie quite like my number two pick. I'm not even sure I've seen a movie remotely like my number two None of us have seen any movie like this or this movie. I've never seen the first 45 minutes of a movie like this. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen the last 10 minutes. I've never seen a photo from a movie Uh, like this. Maybe not even the director's previous movie, which I also love, called Force Majeure. Please watch it. Written and directed by Ruben Osland of Sweden, starring Klaus Bang... Elizabeth Moss, and some other people. The plot follows a museum's art curator that finds himself in both professional and personal crisis as he's setting up a controversial new exhibit called The Square. But that's not what the movie's about. The movie is about whatever Ostlin is able to poke and prod and twist out of you in the course of 151 minutes. That's why this movie isn't like anything I've ever seen. I'm not sure that Ostlin is a filmmaker in the sense that we're accustomed to. He's a performance artist, a provocateur, an instigator. Remember those David Copperfield specials in the 90s where he'd interact with you, the audience at home? That's how this movie feels to me. Ostlin talks about his goals of creating movies in which all the scenes can stand alone without the rest of the film. He puts you in these situations where you are forced to react. You have to choose how you feel, who you side with, how you would handle the situation if you were there. For example, there's a scene in which an artist, played by Dominic West, is being interviewed in front of an audience at the museum, and a man in the audience has Tourette's, and he is shouting incredibly inappropriate things. That scene was amazing. Yeah. Smithson was a, 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 a friend of mine, in fact. I mean, I was 
he, he was interested in the aesthetics of earth and, and the products of the earth. I'm interested in using those products, but not in their aesthetic. I'm, I'm sorry. If everyone that can be quiet, please try to be quiet and then... Old ship, go ahead. If the artist is okay with it. The tension is remarkable, and we just have to sit there as people react. We sit in this moment and think, if I was there, would I want the man to leave? Does he have just as much of a right to be there as me? Does his disability give him fewer rights? How tolerant can or should we be? The movie is full of these scenes, and they're as entertaining as they are challenging. It can be a tough hang at times, but it's so well done and so well acted and shot that it works on multiple levels. We talk a lot about wanting movies to ask questions instead of preaching a message. This movie did this for me on a scale unmatched by anything I've ever seen. So what's it about? Here are some of the questions I walked away with. Do ways in which I struggle with being a good guy disqualify me from being a good guy? How do we be the best we can be? Is our worth based on the sum of all the little decisions we make or do a few bad decisions define us? Your children are watching. What are they learning from you? Am I part of mob mentality? Are there times when that's right? Are you living with shame? Does it end up defining you? The movie ends with one of the most arresting and uncomfortable scenes I've ever witnessed. It's pitch perfect and I love to squirm in my seat. Real quick, do you want to stop and answer all those questions you just asked? Yeah, I think we've got cool. time. Alrighty. Front to back, this is a movie I love and will, will revisit many times. It's got new layers to peel back with every viewing and it rides a line that keeps me on my toes, thoughtfully unsure of where to stand. So you you just put this movie into focus for me because oh. I, I was really, so I, I, I didn't get to finish this. I watched like the first third of it and, and I, I was baffled by what I was watching and there were certain scenes that were hilarious and then the next scene felt totally disjointed yeah. from what had just happened and now that you're explaining it the, 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 what you used there was perfect was performance art mm -hmm. that, that's exactly what this movie is and I, I kind of hesitate to put it that way because I think that might turn a lot of people off to it it's not like a weird necessarily experimental art house film it's funny it's still entertaining it's engaging but it's not going to be a movie in the traditional sense you watched a movie right. before how connected are each is each segment to, to the, the rest of it I mean it tells a story okay yeah it's not it's not this clueless meandering like pointlessness it's not that mm -mm. but but it does it jumps around it cuts all over the place and the fact that that's intentional i think that's very helpful for me to understand yeah. when i watch the next half of the well, film he ruben oslin talks about his goal as a filmmaker is to never include like a transitional scene in a movie so like if he has to include a, a small transition scene then he thinks he's failed a little bit as an as a filmmaker mm -hmm. and so it makes it sort of feel different than what we're used to seeing we're used to seeing those transitions and in these it, they're just like it's like a block of storytelling and then it, it cuts directly to another but it totally works because he's really thoughtful about it. well I, you but you it, it works because it is uncomfortable but then you kind of forget about it because the scene can be so engaging and yeah like and the, scene, the scene with the Tourette's thing getting into that was weird but then when it starts you, you don't care about the weird transition right. you just went through well i'll give my point of view because you chose this movie and i was like oh i'll just never watch that like i didn't you know, i'll probably just skip it and i'll look it's up good to know that's how it yeah. works look, look up really, some funny really facts about that. it or something but today when we were doing that text conversation uh or yesterday i uh i was like well i kind of want to see what this is about and I, I tried to look up the scene uh with terry notary where he's he's basically playing an ape and we can get into the details of that scene if you want sure but um so i looked up the scene thinking it would just be like a two minute thing and it's this 10 minute long scene where the camera really just sits there and lets this guy do this performance and it was i would describe it as one of the best short films i've ever seen mm -hmm. like just the way that it's made and the way that it's done and the questions that it's asking and what it's saying and i don't know if the if the rest of the it sounds like it's a whole bunch of, of I, that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great way to put it it's yeah. a series of short films yeah it is that connect it's not a spoiler the, the last scene is this big dinner like a fundraising dinner with like the top one percent in 
Sweden or wherever they are. And, They're all in tuxes. Uh, and, and, yeah, everybody's yeah. wearing a tux. And, and this artist named Oleg comes out and he's going to do this performance. And everybody's, you know, anxiously awaiting it. And the Dominic West, his character, who was being interviewed earlier in it, and he's this resident artist there. Uh, he's at the dinner and Oleg comes out and he just like terrorizes this group of people. He's shirtless <laughs> and he, he like, he he's acting like an ape and he yeah. jumps up on tables and he's like batting and it's glasses a, a out of people's remarkable performance it's like incredible. this guy yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's and dominic west or is that that's the main that's the lead name who's the lead character klaus bang klaus bang his reaction or lack of reaction is also oh, yeah. <laughs> fantastic i loved it it's a, it's it's just an it's an incredible scene and it's based on a on a real thing that happened there was an artist uh maybe a russian artist i can't remember but he he did a very similar thing where he acted like a dog at this oh, event really? with all these super rich people and he he was biting them on the leg Jeez. and uh and a, a lot of this movie comes out of real events that either happened to Ruben Ostland or, or that he, he found out about. And it's all so pointed. Huh. You should watch the rest of it. Hear that, people? Looking forward to it. Don't be a square. Watch the square. Thanks for that contribution, Gibby. You like that? <laughs> Gibby will never watch the square. Yeah, probably not. Let's watch it tonight. All right, Gibby, your number two. My number two best movie of 2017. It's actually War for the Plenty of the Apes. We've already talked about that. So my number two pick <sighs> now is... <laughs> Darkest hour. I wish it wasn't funny to me every time. <laughs> You're not just, helping. I'm just, gonna, that. I'm just gonna. I'd stop if you'd stop laughing, Jordan. He wouldn't. wouldn't. Well, the problem is that what's funny now is that you keep doing it. <laughs> well, the the joke isn't funny anymore. It's not about you. He keeps laughing at it. So, Darkest Hour, directed by Joe Wright, starring Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill. The darkest, not the Darkest Hour. That's a completely different movie. This is. This has no the in it. This oh, is I didn't straight know up that. Darkest Hour. Uh, it totally follows wrote the darkest hour. Yeah, it's not you really messed up. Yeah, I screwed that up. It follows England and Churchill in well one of their darkest hours. It begins as the opposition party of Parliament basically forces the current Prime Minister to resign because of their unpreparedness for the World War Two. The only person that both parties agree on to take on the role is the old, drunken curmudgeon Winston Churchill. He's barely tolerated by his own party, but they reluctantly agree to let him lead. There's this great scene at the beginning of the movie between Churchill and the king, who's played by a great Ben Mendelsohn, who's the same king as the one that Colin Firth played in the King's Speech. <laughs> the king doesn't want to make him prime minister, but he's forced to. How are you for Mondays? Uh, I shall endeavor to be available on Mondays. Four o'clock? I nap at four. Is that permissible? No, but necessary. I work late. And perhaps lunchtime? Lunch? Mondays? Your Majesty. Prime Minister. Wow, that was great, Gibby. Thank yep. you. <laughs> oh, I am floored. <laughs> anyway, the movie follows the ins and outs of the political machinations as Churchill takes over and tries to figure out how to best lead England during and out of wartime in May 1940. The crucial decision of the movie is will Churchill agree to negotiate with Hitler or will England continue to fight against them? potentially leading to a devastating defeat. I think I've made it known on some previous episodes where I do really love Joe Wright as a filmmaker, and this was no exception. He, he takes what could initially seem to be pretty boring. I didn't want to see a movie about Winston Churchill, and I didn't really want to see a movie about the politics of England. Why'd you go see it then? Because uh, reviews were good. Mm. And Joe Wright directed it. I like Joe Wright. I watch about anything he does. I yeah. feel like this movie should be called Gary Oldman Wins an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> he, he did. 
there's some good Joe Wright even shots in here. A long tracking shot in a bunker during a battle. And then there's some that are tracking the streets of England, kind of just doing everyday activity while this war is going on. So I went to see that for the, this for the exact opposite reasons. I'm a big Winston Churchill fan, very obsessed with World War II. And for me, this fell into the category of a film that I wanted to see as much for educational reasons as entertainment. And it fulfilled both for me. Churchill's one of the few men in history where the weight of the world almost literally fell on his shoulders. And the decisions he made have impacted all of us and it's kind of amazing that it's taken this long to get this quality of a film about him and what I love about this movie though is it's not just about Churchill it becomes about the British people mm -hmm. and it deals with his flaws and uncertainties but the true hero of the film seems to be the people he was leading there's a, there's a scene on the subway that's probably I don't know I, I thought it was kind of the pinnacle scene of the movie other than kind of the final speech he gives at the end where he where he he's about to give up He's frustrated. He doesn't know what to do. It shows that flaw in him. And he starts just going out and talking to people. And the people on the subway start to lift him up. So in the same way that he was given credit for lifting up the British people, there's a scene where they reciprocate that. You, uh, the British people, what is your mood? Uh, is it uh, is it confidence? Confident? How confident? Very. Some people say it's a lost cause. Our lost causes are the only ones worth fighting for. Too right. Yes, now let me ask you this. If the worst came to pass and and the enemy were to appear on those those streets above, what would you do? Fight. Fight the fascists. Fight them with anything we can lay our hands on. Broom handles if we must. Street by street. They'll never take Piccadilly. <laughs> <laughs> never take Piccadilly indeed. <laughs> and what if I put it to you all that we might, if we, uh, if we ask nicely, get very favourable terms from Mr Hitler if we enter into a peace deal with him right now? What would you say to that? Never! Never. 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 And they're the ones who ultimately drop it. Mean, I don't know how true this is. This may have happened. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. Would, he did actually go out to the streets and like talk to people. He kind of go around and just talk to random people. He never yeah. actually rode the subway. Wow. But he would get the regular person's it, feel of it. I'm it's saying. a beautiful scene and it, it's very cinematically satisfying. And and you know again if it whether how dead on accurate it was or not, I, I think like you said, I mean, you kind of just confirmed it. He he did do some things like that, which is really fascinating. Technically, this film was amazing. Yeah. I, the way it was shot was so cool and so much more artistic than I expected mm -hmm. it to be for whatever reason. I really, really enjoyed this movie. Yeah. But I wonder, I watched it right after I watched Dunkirk. They, and, go, they and, go hand in hand really well. Totally. And so I, but I wonder if I, didn't, I would have enjoyed this movie as much without the context mm. of like seeing the war side of yeah. the same story. It like really enhanced this movie. I for think me. the more you understand about what was going on at the time, it absolutely is yeah. a better film. Yeah. If I didn't know much about Churchill at all coming to this or World War II, mm. this would have been lost on me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there is a big key plot point in the movie about Dunkirk. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think seeing Dunkirk before or after this really enhances both movies. In Absolutely. Fact. One thing that I was kind of surprised about in the movie is you kind of think this is going to be a stuffy mm -hmm. film, but it's not. I mean, it's pretty funny. Oh, yeah. Uh, Oldman as Churchill was really witty, and I guess Churchill himself was witty. Uh, and there's a great line at the beginning where he's talking to his wife, and she says, uh, be yourself today. And he says, which self should I be today? <laughs> <laughs> there's another really great, I don't know who wrote this, but there's another great line in it that was, uh, I can't remember who said it, but my father was like God. 
busy elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> One of the famous Churchill lines I've heard, I, I, I've seen this credit to him over and over, but it was a, a woman that said something that she was offended by, and she said to him, sir, if you were my husband, I'd put poison in your drink. And he said, madam, if you were my wife, I would drink it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I like this movie because we also need to relate everything back to the Harry Potter world on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Did well, you know I, that I Gary Oldman unaware. is the sixth actor from the oh, Harry Potter franchise to portray Winston Churchill? What? <laughs> yeah. How is that the possible? Sixth. That's crazy. Uh, Michael Gambon did in uh, Churchill's Secret. Timothy Spall did in King's Speech. Brendan Gleeson did in Into the Storm. No, I'm into it. And a couple others that I don't know. Oh, wow. David Ryle and... Um, They're just not famous Harry Potter Robert people. Hardy, yeah. Cornelius Fudge. Oh. Uh, also, yeah, pretty uh, interesting. they've made a lot of movies about Churchill. In fact, <laughs> man, Hudson just pulled back a joke, which really makes me curious. About it, no, it wasn't because it was controversial. because I couldn't think, oh, of, think of the word. Lance, number two. If you were alive in 1994, you no doubt remember the story of two figure skating rivals, Tanya Harding oh, and yeah. Nancy Kerrigan, who brought the world of competitive figure skating into the mainstream, gaining it more attention than it had probably ever received. What kicked the story off was a poorly conceived attack on Nancy Kerrigan during one of her practice sessions leading up to the Olympic Games, in which an assailant tried to break her leg to prevent her from competing. An investigation, which probably took about 10 minutes, traced the attack <laughs> back to Harding's ex-husband, creating questions about whether Harding knew about and even ordered the attack. The story reached a fever pitch when the two skaters competed against each other at the Olympics, possible assailant versus her possible victim. My next film is I, Tanya, which tells this very well-known story with a harsh, raw, and often hilarious style. It's the narrative approach that makes the film work and in my opinion made it so successful. A traditional story set up as an intense drama about this rivalry might have worked, but it wouldn't have been nearly as interesting. Instead of seeing the difficult circumstances of Tanya's blue-collar childhood that are played out seriously, which is what most films would have done, Tanya will stop, look at the camera, and tell us directly how much everything sucked for her as a kid. It's funny, it's authentic, and it's what separates the film and why I enjoyed it so much. At times it felt more like a slapstick comedy as the film comes directly to us as the audience and sort of breaks down the fourth wall. At a deeper level though, the film deals with some interesting themes that really connected with me. The drive to be the best and what people are willing to do to get there is pretty standard fare, but this film also deals with the fact some people have to overcome a lot more than mm. others to be the best. Harding was the blue-collar redneck no one in the pristine bourgeois ice skating world wanted to make it to the top, whereas Kerrigan was the pristine princess who fit their standards. Harding had to make her dress to skate in. Kerrigan had hers handed to her. How did that impact them? Would Kerrigan have been just as desperate in Harding's shoes? We don't know. Zing. Zing. Oh, that's the end of your bit. Did we mention the name of this movie? It's called I, Tanya. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Zone zoned out a little bit. I absolutely adored this movie. I thought it was so, so good and does such a fantastic job of telling an entertaining story like you mentioned like it is funny and it is completely engaging and they do such unique kind of things with the way that it's filmed but the thing that really made me stick with this film by the time you get to the end of it is that whole journey of just what she had been through and how difficult her life was and how much you respect her even though she's kind of a terrible person mm -hmm. but uh, uh, we talk about this a lot of that film is kind of the ultimate empathy machine and that's kind of what this movie mm -hmm. was for me this character who like she was a punchline. Like we all made fun mm -hmm. of her yep. in the nineties. And to really think that, oh no, that's an actual person who went mm -hmm. through a very difficult life and accomplished amazing things to get where she is. Well, and she addresses that at one point in the movie. It's one of my favorite yeah. parts where yeah. she she says that we became her attackers and that we abused mm -hmm. her. Mm -hmm. 
And it's like, yeah. it's, that like really resonated yeah. with me. In the movie, ultimately, there's a, there's a final scene in the movie where she, she later kind of became a boxer, which is just a oh, crazy life. Yeah. The movie just ends with her kind of getting knocked down on the ground and she gets up one last time. And, yeah. and you see that as, oh, that's who this character is. Someone who's gonna, who's gotten knocked down her entire life, but she gets up every single time. Right. I, I completely love this movie. Yeah. And some of the criticism, right, was like, oh, you're, we're only hearing her side of the story. And like we're sort of glorifying her when she did all this terrible stuff or was involved in all this terrible stuff. But which I like, I understand that criticism. But at the same time, like I think this is such an interesting perspective to take with the movie. Of like, it's not, it's not like, it's not the filmmakers saying like, oh, we're gonna defend Tanya Harding. It's like we're gonna tell the story from her perspective, which is really fascinating because it's something that we don't, I think, necessarily think about enough. Every story is different from each perspective. And hers was certainly undertold right. and, and underthought of. We have seen all the other points of views before right. besides her. Right. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I think it's where people get confused with movies like this because there is such a difference between, and, and yet it's a really fine line between defending someone and just trying to look at it from their perspective. It's not the same thing, but it can be easily mixed up. Mm-hmm. This movie isn't asking you necessarily to even sympathize with her, but it is asking you to have some empathy yeah. for why she might have turned out the way she did. Yeah. Or And w- one of the big questions, so we still don't really know for sure what she knew. Right. It seems pretty likely she knew about it. We don't know that for sure, though. And it's still yeah. hard to say for sure. The guy, that her ex-husband, seemed nuts. It seems very plausible he just went off and did his own <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. We, we but don't, then there's weird things like she get, she knew the time, had asked the times of when when the uh, right. Kerrigan's practices right. were. Why would she ever yeah. need to know that? Again, if I had to put my money on it, I'm leaning that way. But even there, it's this interesting thing where everybody has a breaking point. And mm-hmm. you start to ask your question, well, if I had been put in that boiler like she was, what would I have done? Yeah. Yeah. Would I have done the same thing? I don't know. It just it asks some great questions. And in a, in a way that's not depressing, you know, in a way that is still right. entertaining, engaging, and you're laughing and you're disturbed. And even when it does that, it doesn't make light of these things. She gets abused. Like it's yeah. it's like, and that stuff's taken seriously. But it's, it, I don't know, it, it's, it goes a little bit, we were talking about earlier, like how hard it is tonally to balance that th- those things and this movie did a great job I think of it did a really great job except I thought it went a little overboard around the actual incident I had a hard time with how sort of goofy the what's the the, the like hitman Galuli yeah but all like, that stuff actually happened with him not like parking right in front of the place right, right. and not being able to get in the door it really was that, that dumb that's why yeah, I, yeah. I made note of that what, what a stupid job it was right it just felt like I wish they'd just toned not toned down what happened but toned down the way it was played a little yeah. bit because I, I I felt like I was in a goofy comedy at that moment, but I but I do agree felt like you were in the it, discovery back there. <laughs> I, I the, do um, I do agree that the rest of it was tonally balanced in a really remarkable way. That there, there's a famous do. one interesting piece of trivia that I read about this movie was that there's her her famous signature move was called the triple axel. I can't even remember what it tells. I don't know if it's like a spin in the air three times. I'm not sure what it is. Okay. They they tried to find someone to do it for this movie. Mm-hmm. What they found out was only six women have yeah. performed the. Well, feat wasn't she since. only the second? one that had ever done it or something? She there may have been the first. I think she was first. the first. Yeah. Only six have done it since and the ones who had done it were either retired and couldn't do it anymore or they were in such heavy training they're like we're not going to risk it for your movie. <laughs> right. Like We're not going to risk our you know yeah. 
career. So what they they ended up using having to use like CGI, which to, to get it's it. some of the most impressive yes. CGI I've it's ever cool. seen in it's my really life. Cool. It makes ice skating look amazing. Yeah, well, well, I'm well, sorry, I but was, the CGI. I was talking more about the camera movement, but yeah, yeah. no, I see no, what that you're too. I mean, the, those scenes, the ice skating scenes are incredible. And I was, what's the but, what's the woman's name? Who Margot Robbie? Margot. Yeah, I was like, is Margot Robbie like a figure skater? Like this is incredible. But seriously, how does it compare to the scenes in The Cutting Edge? <laughs> I just, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's better, Gibby. I thought this segment was going great. Those, so. those were pretty good. So uh, we need, we, Gibby we hasn't can't seen do this segment without talking about uh, Alice and Janney. Oh, is, yeah. My criticism of this movie is actually that Alice and Janney is so amazing and so compelling as a character that she overshadows the rest of the movie. Was anything I did ever good enough for you? You were soft. At three? Poor f***ing you. I didn't stay home making apple brown Bettys. No, I made you a champion. Knowing you'd hate me for it. That's the sacrifice a mother makes. I wish I had a mother like me instead of nice. Nice gets you shit. I didn't like my mother either. So what? I gave you a gift. And then I want Allison Janney in every single scene. <laughs> uh, <and laughs> One she best can't be. supporting actress for this. Well, yeah, she did. she did. And she's fantastic, but you also hate her so much. Exactly. Like, That's I, what's I, so great yeah, about I could it. not handle her in every scene. One last thing is... There's kind of the joke that the one people group that it's still okay to make fun of is white trash. And essentially that's who Tanya Harding was and her family and all that. And and so I appreciated that a movie that still made fun of that world and stuff, but also humanized it mm -hmm. um, and gave a voice to, this sounds lame, but to, to a people that are generally can still be made fun of freely that, uh, uh, that are a lot of people that don't control how they grew up and being poor in, in these communities. And so I, I just thought that was, uh, we don't get to see that world yeah. very often yeah. in, in that Agreed. way. Yeah, not, not in a, any kind of empathetic way. You get right. a very tangible idea of what it would be like to grow up like that yeah. and how that would absolutely screw, screw someone up. Yeah. Well, one of the fascinating things about any Olympic athlete is the amount of dedication that they have to do. And no wonder, probably most of them are screwed up by the time they're yeah. done with it because this is what they live hear that life olympic for. athletes yeah so don't be an olympic yeah, athlete take that olympians be like me and watch movies wait do you watch movies did you watch this movie yeah, yeah you don't really watch movies i mean do you read about movies a lot yeah I, w that's what's kind of funny to me gib is the um the number of movies you have watched that were just stupid that Sorry, I'm being a real <laughs> here, but like that. I would love to see the list of movies you watched instead of these, because I'd be like, really, you chose that instead of the actual movie that you were supposed to watch. You don't want to see this list. I don't. I, it would be embarrassing. We need to make a movie so everybody empathizes with Gibby. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. All right, my number we're number two, number two pick. Mildred Hayes is grieving after the brutal, brutal rape and murder of her teenage daughter. She's angry that the local police have made no progress in the investigation, so she decides to rent three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Also, the name of my number two pick. Hmm. The three billboards read, raped while dying, still no arrests, how come Chief Willoughby? And this kicks off a wonderful film that explores this dark subject matter while being deeply moving and occasionally laugh out loud funny. Not occasionally, it's pretty often laugh out moments. loud funny. Uh, the filmmaker, Martin McDonough, previously made one of my very favorite films of all time, In Bruges. He is a master of plot and tone and dialogue. But what makes McDonough stand out above nearly every other modern filmmaker are his characters. And the trio at the heart of this film are so real. Uh, Mildred Hayes, played by Frances McDormand, who won the Oscar for this role, is the kind of person you'd never want to be, but you definitely want to watch. She takes no 
resorts and not just in like a cute sitcom way, but resorts to violence and vandalism throughout the film. She's really mean. The aforementioned Chief Willoughby, played by Woody Harrelson in one of my favorite roles of his, also nominated for Best Supporting Actor, is probably the most relatable character, but he's also a man of the system, allowing some terrible things to happen under his watch. And finally, the controversial character of Dixon, played by Sam Rockwell, for which he won the Best Supporting Actor, is an abhorrent, racist, violent alcoholic. And I mean, a real piece of all the videos uh, in the news of cops attacking young black teens for no reason, that's basically this guy. But here's the thing that makes this movie so wonderful. McDonough's not afraid to let you hate a main character and then somehow works the miracle of letting you relate to them. And this is what Three Billboards is ultimately about. It's one of the best explorations of prejudice and empathy I've seen on screen because it's so easy for us to look at the news and see terrible people doing terrible things, but we hate to admit that the people performing these atrocities are still human beings. It's much easier to sit in the world where we grow up and judge others without knowing anything about them or their upbringing or their background. And there was some backlash to this film. Um, I'm not sure how big, but from people feeling that the Dixon character was redeemed in the end without truly earning it, um, I'll read a uh, quote here. Uh, April Wolf of the Village Voice kind of summed this up. McDonough painstakingly humanizes a character who we find has unapologetically tortured a black man in police custody. And then Three Billboards seems to ask audiences to forgive and forget wrongs like police violence, domestic abuse, and sexual assault without demonstrating a full understanding of the centuries-long toll these crimes have taken on victims in real life. But here's the thing. McDonough's not trying to atone for centuries of atrocities here. No one can do that. What he can do is use the medium of film to do what it does best, to give you a peek at human beings who are different than yourself. It is just one step in the right direction, but if more films sought to explore such deep and authentic character studies, all those steps would start to add up. Who who made that comment? That oh, was, no, uh, it wasn't just that. I mean, there on. was a huge backlash. There, April was, Wolf. there was a lot of people. April Wolf, the Village yeah. Voice. That's one of the stupidest. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's one of the dumbest reactions I've ever oh, heard for exactly to, what you said. I mean, go back to my, what was it, my Legend of Bagger Vance review. That's so moronic. I mean, if you were I'm to sure Google, she's smart and whatever, but yeah, what, an, what an idiotic thing to say. <laughs> well, I mean, you I know, mean, th this, this came out at a time where there was a lot of anger towards especially mm -hmm. cops and especially uh, with the race issue. I mean, I totally understand her writing something like that. I, I don't because I, I do, but but to me, what what I hate about comments like that is they're so self-serving. Hey, everybody, just so everybody knows, I'm 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 really good. I'm yeah. really noble. Just shut up. Right. Sorry. Well, I'm, but annoyed. the thing is, but but film can't do what she's asking it to well, do. And she no should be smart enough to know right. that yeah. in a review like that. Sure. That's just dumb. I watched this on a plane one day and it blew me away. Mm -hmm. It was phenomenal. Hudson, you made a comment about it after we talked about it that it it's a movie that. You empathize with every, with all of the the viewpoints here, yeah. not all of them at, at all times. But you know, Woody Harrelson's character, Francis McDormand's character, a hundred percent at odds with each other, and you get both of the roles. I don't know whose side I'm on. Yeah, I, I get why she's upset. I get why he's going. I don't know what you want me to do here. We're yeah. trying, I promise. You get that she is being driven by grief and emotion. You get the hard position he's in. He wants to help her. He wants to be on her side. He just doesn't know how to be. And he's not dealing bit. with a woman who's capable of being rational at that point because she's just hurting so much. Yeah. One thing that really pulled me in with this movie was just the curveballs it throws at you tonally and you're right Gibby this is a movie where you laugh a lot and then something horrible happens the yeah. next scene and and I mean I, I'm, I'm not I'm trying not to be spoiler here but it's got one of the most unorthodox suicide scenes I've ever seen in a movie that starts off almost like a romantic comedy yeah and all the way up until the moment of death it's like being treated lighthearted it was insane yeah I, I, I mean I think I like gasped aloud when that <laughs> happened because I just did not see that coming yeah and the movie is just, it's like that with those moments. It's like that with the characters. It, it kept stunning me in a lot of different ways, and I really appreciated that. And this this was, I think, for me, probably the best film of the year. Wow. I'm not I, sure I I've ever seen a movie that's not a Coen Brothers movie that has been more like a Coen Brothers movie than this movie. 
which means I loved it. I thought it was excellent, but did it not feel like a Coen Brothers movie to you? I, I see why you're saying that, yeah. but I, I feel like it does a little bit of disservice because I, I do think McDonough has his own voice, and I think to me it wasn't it, it wasn't as quirky, you know, it wasn't as it's controlled. Um, it was it, a little more real. It definitely was quirky, which irked, the quirks irked me a little bit. Quirk, quirk, um, quirked you, and I can see like sort of tonally how this is like Coen Brothers, but I don't feel like the Coen Brothers ever like do this sort of pointed social yeah, it was very pointed. thing the way that this movie did. And I think this is a really special movie for, for what you guys were talking about. I didn't love it, and I need to see it again because I, I think I will love it more uh, the more I watch it, but the ending was underwhelming for me, and I think it left me just, I guess, a little underwhelmed leaving the theater. Yeah, I'll, and, and I, I'll cop to that too. It's a movie that just kind of ends, mm-hmm. that there's not a lot of kind of wrap up, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized that because it ended that way, it kept me thinking about it. Right. And, and it I think kept me talking about that's it. A, that's that's a great point, and I think that I I imagine that was the intention, or yeah. at least oh, if it wasn't the intention, then it becomes a uh, an accidental intention. Yeah, and I think that it it does work very effectively that way. And maybe there's not a, a better way to do that. I just I left talking more about why didn't I love that as much as I thought hmm. I was going to the while watching it, and then it ended and I didn't love it as much. I talked about that more than I talked about the actual sort of issues yeah. in, in the movie. It has one of my favorite lines of all year when there's a pretty dramatic scene at the end at a restaurant. Francis McDormand's ex-husband's company is with a real young girl. And then uh, the girl's really kind of dumb. And Peter Dinklage says, Penelope said baguettes when he's talking about her. That was good line. <laughs> Nailed it has one of my favorite. One of my favorite just things. play that clip. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of my favorite things are also in movies when someone's listening to headphones and don't hear like anything at all, like I don't know, say a burning building, literally a foot behind them. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was good. a little that bit of crazy. a coincidence. I think Gibby was saying that part wasn't good. Oh, yeah, yeah, they should <laughs> no, hear that. No, I love that. But part. the uh, the interrogation scene in the room between Woody Harrelson and Francis McDormand is phenomenal. The way that she makes a quick turn when she realizes he's sick, like they're super angry, and then all of a sudden, Spoiler his maternal word. instinct. Yeah, Gib. I mean, we really gotta. No, anyway, kicks in. <laughs> <laughs> We can cut this whole segment before I start talking two minutes ago. <laughs> Jordan's number one pick. Yeah. Best number one pick. 2017. This is definitely what I think is the best movie of 2017, and I might expand that beyond just this one year. Ooh, I best think of this the decade? Is, no, I, well, I can't exactly, because... Um, I'm... It, before we, I'm going to change what I just said about three billboards. I'm going to agree with you and probably everything you're about to say, but keep going about it being the best film of the year. It's a documentary. It's called The Work. Almost no one has heard of it, and almost no one has seen it. And it, so it's it's hard for me to be like, this is the best film of the decade because it's I guess because it's a documentary, and I would want to give that to a narrative feature. Real quick, how did you come across this film? Because I had never heard. I'm of it I'm curious before. about that too. Yeah. How did you find this? Um, I was reading, like, browsing some articles about like best documentaries of the year or. You know the last couple of years, and I think it was Esquire that had reported on it and just mentioned it as a some a powerful film about uh, men and vulnerability. And those things are right up my alley. You love men. I love men, and I love watching them be vulnerable. So can if, I can I ask you real quick before you keep going? Yeah. Did you find this movie really hard to? I, I struggled so much trying to 
put my thoughts down on paper about this. Well, Did you so much, in fact, that I wrote nothing for it. Right. Because I don't, all I know how to do is to have a discussion about it. I, I don't I, know how to present it to you. I don't yeah, know. I had the same debate. I wrote all this stuff and then I went, I, I feel like I owe this movie more than to just read mm-hmm. something, you know? Like I had such a reverence for it. Yeah. That, so so, so anyway, I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's, that it's not, it's hard to say this is, this is the best movie because in a lot of ways the filmmaking, like the shots are not no, very it's, it's not impressive like technically in that way but the sound is pretty rough at times but all that serves absolutely what you're watching yes. absolutely it serves it it totally works but it's not it's not polished in any way uh, so it, like best movie feels a little weird but like it is without a doubt one of the most important movies if not the most important movie yeah. i've ever seen in my life totally agree i am on the verge of tears just like <laughs> presenting it all right so give us give us a a, a recap so it's, what, it, what it's about it was actually shot in 2009 and it was shot in new Folsom prison in sacramento california and it is about a program that started in the year 2000 where a select number of prisoners i guess they volunteer for it these are not small-time criminals these are members of the aryan nation these are gang members both were gang members outside of the prison they're gang members in the prison like currently gang members right. in the prison these are people who have killed people multiple or have, or have attempted to yeah, yeah i mean these guys are for, in there yeah the rest most of, of them forever and uh so this program brings them into this space for four days with also men and it's all men also men from the outside just civilians and it brings them in and they do group therapy for four days and this isn't like sit around and talk about your feelings. This is, this is hard intense. Yeah. This is like there's a character named uh, Rick who was who was in the Aryan Brotherhood. He talks about how all he's ever known is violence. That's what he was good at was violence. And he's a scary looking dude. He's a skinny white dude, but he is terrifying looking. And he at the near the beginning of the film, he he says to the small group that they're in, he says, you know. Let, 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 me, let me ask you guys to do something for me. Let's just be guys in here. He says, Over the years, I keep hearing these distinctions about guys from the streets and guys from prison. I say, F- all that. We're guys. And we're in here struggling the best way we know how. Our guys in prison, we're going to come in here. We're going to be authentic. We're not going to be who we are out there on the yard. I asked that of you guys, too. You know who you are out there on the streets. Be more than that. Not just us. Not just the guys who have to wear fucking blue. But all of us. Let's be, for four days, let's be what we could be. Let's, let's be that. It's really powerful to hear someone that looks like that talk in this way so it, it the, the movie centers around these three civilians who come in a guy who's around i think he's 42 he's a black man i think he's married he has a kid and he's in there because his biggest fear is being in prison his dad was in prison when he was a kid then a 25 year old white dude who is a <laughs> he's actually his job is listed as um steve zahn lookalike yeah he looks like steve zahn <laughs> and his his he job has is no a, business being in this prison you look at him you're like what is this guy doing none. here this is nuts this is and, a bad but idea his, his job like his he's listed as a museum affiliate i think yeah, which i, I think just means that he like works in the gift shop at a museum <laughs> And then this guy, Brian, who's a teacher's Brian. assistant. And um, it just sort of centers around them. And Well, I, they, they are your eyes in from right. the outside. But what I found so fascinating about this movie is that you stop 
thinking about who's a prisoner and who's not yeah. by mm-hmm. the end of it. And mm-hmm. what that man says at the beginning, Rick, I think it was, mm-hmm. it comes true. You stop thinking. You. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You saying it that way makes me think of something. Like, we're thinking, when we think of being a prisoner, we think of being behind bars. We think of wearing the blue, as they talk about in there. We talk about that. But by the end of the movie, you're thinking, like, the guys who are actually, like, prisoners, yeah, the guys yeah, who are, like, who are really trapped are these guys on the outside who don't know well, who can't be yeah. vulnerable what's funny is I was expecting that kind of lesson by the end but almost immediately the prisoners are helping those guys from oh, the yeah. second that they right. sit down mm-hmm. right. yeah and yeah the, the movie wastes no time they shot over 300 hours of footage mm-hmm. um, so they, they and the movie's 89 minutes I understand why it needed it took a long time for them to make this movie in post because there was so much to work with and and I imagine a, just a ton of different cuts of like trying yeah. to figure out how to tell this story. And so it gets in pretty quickly where we meet these guys and and these what I think what's so powerful to me what what's really struck me from the very beginning is just that like these guys and we don't have much empathy for people in prison. We think right. lock them up like these people are terrible we, we don't want them in our society. But like these guys are stuck with only men all the time. And they're stuck with themselves and with other men that cannot let their guards down because it is so dangerous mm-hmm. there and in all, probably all prisons. And they have no opportunities to show their true selves, show their feelings, show any amount of vulnerability because it will be taken advantage of. And so I just... I just watch these men and I watch them just like, they're all so anxious and desperate to be vulnerable. And I think it's Dark Cloud. He's a part of a Native American gang and he's a pretty scary looking dude. And he, he tells this story in the beginning about why he's in prison. I almost chopped a guy in half. They found me guilty. They found me guilty for uh, attempted murder. I, I paralyzed the guy for life. I, I literally sat on his chest with the knife like that big and just cut a line, a jag line across his stomach, trying to cut the dude in half. Which is hard to even wrap my head around. Like it's hard for me to fathom that. But this guy did that. And what he talks about, he's like, I j- I want to be vulnerable. I want to be vulnerable. I want to be vulnerable. And I don't want to be scared to be vulnerable. Because every time I every time I've made myself vulnerable, I've been hurt. But he has the hardest time of getting there. He does have a really hard time. And uh, but I think the first one that we see is this guy Kiki, who he just he's like, I want to cry. I haven't cried. I haven't mourned my sister's death in years. And like it's just, it's just I've never ever seen anything anything close to this and and the film throws you in this ring very quickly and very suddenly Mm -hmm. with this guy kiki and the story and and you've never seen anything like these circles that they do where they encouraging emotion and and providing a safe space it's such a jarring experience watching this guy it's terrifying respond to his motion yeah i mean it starts to feel like this kind of possession of just like anger an exorcism, oh, an exorcism. Oh, yeah. exactly. it becomes an exorcism <clears throat> yeah so it's it's a weird watch mm-hmm. and, and you're about 30 minutes in you're like what in the world am i watching but but real what really got me in, in this is is just hearing their stories and, and in particular they asked this question of um i can't remember the phrasing but what what's your hurt what's your betrayal what's your betrayal what is betrayal and every single story was about a father yeah. not oh, being every there. single dads one. can screw people up and the power of this movie to me is is that message that Mm -hmm. every single person every single man at least that that's in this prison system is because a father wasn't there for him and the uh, there's one guy who does a great kind of monologue at the end about um fatherless sons and you know i've I've often wondered why i was put here on the on the planet and uh 
for me, it's become real clear it's about the fatherless sons. I was a fatherless son. My father was a fatherless son. My grandfather was a fatherless son. And my son, for a long time in his life, was a fatherless son. I don't have a right to tell another man what to do with his life. But I can't tell another man what the consequences may be for one fatherless son. And so right now I have some, some sadness and some joy. I'm sad because of the fatherless sons. And I have some joy because things like this happen and circles like this in other places happen. So that if one father can go through what he needs to go through to be there for his son, then all this is worth it, all of it. But that just stuck with me so much that that's kind of what we're dealing with in our society and that there is, mm -hmm. by fathers not stepping up, it's such a bigger issue than I ever possibly ever considered before watching this movie. Like you're kind of like, okay, yeah, I get it that fathers aren't there for their kids and it's whatever. Mm -hmm. But to hear these guys talk about this betrayal from the men in their lives and that's why they're in this world and why they're dealing with things like they are and suffering for their entire lives. Yeah. It's like this light came on of like, oh my God, we have this massive problem in this world, in this country of men not being there for their kids and this is this is a big deal you you could argue it's the biggest problem our country faces right i but really think you could, talking because about it's it. so real well, well we some, talk some about people it. are but it gets shot down a lot and that's i mean we're getting into a political place and sure. i don't think we want to go here but well we tend to talk about it in, about black communities is a, is a big part mm -hmm. of we, we talk about oh the, the fathers aren't there and they and we talk about it in a way that's like oh the, the dads are shitty in that community but like where we get political and we don't have to go too far into it but like is that we're locking up so many of these black dads and, right. and that has it and they talk about this somewhat in the movie and i think so much of the power in the movie because i, I want to be clear when i say things like they talk about this in the movie there's no interviews in this movie there's no right. off to the side talking to the camera it is just raw footage cut together of this experience real quick about the political thing though because what this movie does so well is it gives you so many points of point of views that you're not just talking about criminals and black men you're talking about the people coming in from right. from outside yeah. like the the, the the like white guy who seemingly has it mm -hmm. together kind of thing and him talking about his father that was there for him but mm -hmm. just the way that his father treated him and and didn't allow him to be himself and didn't felt safe around his dad mm -hmm. and didn't felt kind of loved or allowed to have certain emotions around his dad like there there's so many subtle layers to this that it's not just about like growing up without a father right not that, at all that there, there's there's just a, a responsibility that for fathers that that we're not really talking about and that's what makes it so scary because i watch it as a dad right yeah and, and, and you start to question he's talking about they're they're saying you know tell a specific thing about like where <laughs> how your dad betrayed you and he said, well, my dad used to work on cars and I went out there one day and I wanted to help him. I wanted to learn how to work on cars. <laughs> totally going to cry. And um, he wants to help his dad and his dad's like, get me this tool. And he doesn't know what the tool is, probably because his dad hadn't taught him what that tool was. So he's like trying to find it in the toolbox. He can't find it because he doesn't know what it is. And so he, his dad is like, well, you're, you know, go back inside with your mom and I'll do it. And like, I could, I could so easily do that. Mm. I probably have done that. <laughs> like, God, how, how, how simple and benign that seems. And it's mm. just, it like ravaged this guy for years mm. afterwards. And it, and you, you can be like, oh, well, that, I think something that this movie does so well is it puts it all on the same plane because we've got like dads who, who abuse their kids yeah. and then you've got him and it like messes them up the same mm -hmm. pain. Mm -hmm. Like the 
the pain we have is is not there's no inferior pain or superior pain there's just pain and like we feel that and it it shapes us and the right. biggest surprise of that guy's story was he's telling the story that seems so kind of weak and he even it says that before he tells yeah, the story yeah. compared to these other guys but these guys wrap their arms right. around mm -hmm. him oh. and they become this home for him yeah. as if he just told the worst story mm -hmm. possible yeah. that they recognize their pain in him even though their stories right. are so completely yeah. different so we've I did some fancy multiplication. We've we've covered about three hundred and thirty-ish films on wow, this show since we started, and who knows how many we've seen overall between yeah. between the four of us. And, and when you see that many that movies, number. you start to have trends in your mind. I mean, I would say the most of the movies we see are forgettable or not very good, and then you have a smaller category that is really good, mm -hmm. and you've got that really special category of greats and your favorites. And for me, there's this smaller subcategory of films that changed me, mm -hmm. that hopefully made me a better person. And this is one of the two, three, four I've ever seen that did that. I actually just want to thank you for bringing this into my... I'm serious. Like, yeah. I, I needed this movie. Like, this movie was important to me. Absolutely. And I watched it for 89 oh, minutes. Oh, were you supposed to have changed since Thursday? <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. Really? Okay. Um, I Sorry. watched it with... <laughs> tears streaming down my oh, face yeah, for too. an hour and a half mm -hmm. and I couldn't stop yeah. I just and it wasn't like uh, it was just like I was watching quietly just weeping mm -hmm. and you know it was it was it was so raw and and Hudson what you just said hit me so hard too the amount of these are these are men who have tried to cut each other in half I mean and the love that enters these forums was just shocking because I went I'm thinking about what would I do if I, I were in that situation and I think man, I would just feel stupid I'd be like, yeah, yeah, your dad like raped four people in front of you and you became a criminal. Like my dad was mean to me once, mm -hmm. but they don't judge based on that. Mm -hmm. And there is a beauty in this movie about what you wish our society could be. And, and, and what's, what's so hopeful about it is like, I don't know what you call this style of therapy. I don't know if there's a name for it. I mean, I don't know if there's a, like a special, I, I don't know, but I'd never seen anything like that. And I got done with this movie and I, I wanted to share it with people. Yeah. Like I was like, everyone needs to see this, especially men. Yeah. I, I think every single man needs to see this movie. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I think, I think not just men. I think every, I re, I, I've never, <laughs> I don't think I've ever felt before. Like every single person in America or on earth needs to see this movie. Yeah. I mean, I could say that about Jaws, but like, that's yeah. just because I that's love different. Jaws. It's not like, important in the same way. Right. Like Jaws is not going to make anyone's life better. You know, but right. this is, this is life changing stuff. Yeah, couldn't agree And more. if you're listening to this and, and I, look, even when I read the description, I was like, oh, prison reform. I don't know. It's not about prison reform. Mm -hmm. it, it is, but it's about human reform and male reform and societal reform. And it is in I, I don't know I keep wanting to use bigger and bigger words and I'm just speaking in hyperbole at this point but yeah. this is such an important film and everyone needs to see it and I would strongly encourage you without kids in the room mm -hmm. because it gets really real yeah um, yeah there's nothing make, fluffy yeah. here this isn't just people preaching love and and peace. It, exactly and that, that's what I also don't want people to get turned off to like this this gets hardcore and it gets frightening at times mm -hmm. watching them bring their anger to the surface very very physical too yeah exactly this is not laying on the therapist's couch. This is getting enraged, having to be held down by multiple people, screaming like there's a monster coming out of you. Mm -hmm. Played like a horror film all the steps. And you'll see scenes where you hear, you, there's, they're talking to one group, and then you'll hear on the other side of the room someone screaming. Oh, yeah. It's going on all over the place. Mm -hmm. 
And it, it just speaks to the intensity of the pain these guys are feeling, which again is not confined to this prison. It, it's mm-hmm. about all of us. I think if it had just been about prisoners, it would make it easy for some people to dismiss it and go, right. well, they're hardened criminals, they're messed up, that's not me. But the fact that the three guys who came in from outside went through the exact same experience, that, that changes the movie. It makes it a completely different thing. Absolutely. Um, so thank you for this movie. It's yeah. phenomenal. It's I'm brilliant. So Everyone it. needs to see this. Yeah. There, there is a thing that I wanted to just put out there. After watching this movie, and same feeling as you guys, this is very powerful. This is a movie that, that everyone needs to watch just for, for what it is and what it means. There was a part of me, though, that is that kind of had this view of it as, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. You know when like we all kind of grew up in the church, and so you, it, it, when we're kids and you go to summer camp and you have this spiritual experience yeah. Yeah, and you're like, my, my life has changed, thing. and then you go home and everything's kind of different. This felt a little bit like that. Like you're, you go into this environment and the environment starts to become, now what they're going through is 100% real, but there is a certain level of manipulation and joining in with the group and experiencing this they thing kind of together. forced a couple of guys to do it like the guy you're yeah. talking about like you have but they're to not do this, they're not basically. they're not pulling them off the street and being like hey we're gonna do this like yeah these guys thing with you. These, these, are, these are people who yeah. they're so like 360 people have gone through this thing and 60 people 60 convicts i think have have been paroled largely because of it because you look yeah. at these guys and they're it's real these guys' lives changed. I, I totally had the well, same kind but, of thought but, because and, I've seen And it. of those 60, zero have that's, come back to that's, prison. That's zero. the key point yeah. that I think kind of counters what you're yeah. saying. Right. It does have some permanence. I mean, yeah. 60 people, not one comes back. Right. That's impossible. Yeah. So something yeah. real is going on here. This yeah. is This is not just... The spiritual high you got from a youth retreat when you were 12. Right. I'm sure there's some of that. I'm sure they still struggle. I don't think the yeah. problem's gone, but they are changed after this. And, and I, the I think it's because it. it's tangible. I'm not trying to criticize church or church camps in by saying this, but like it's tangible. So what these guys crave is love right. and being seen. Being safe. And being safe to be vulnerable and to have feelings. Right. That's what they crave. And they can't. They weren't able to get it before they were in prison, and they aren't able to get it in prison. Yeah. And this allows them to yeah. get it. And they're and, attacking very specific events that have hurt them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not groupthink. It's not. Yeah. I mean, they're they're dealing with things that they have very just never specific. opened up about. So it, it's it's different. The, the amazing thing about this movie is, I would love to see photos of this, but just seeing a guy before they do the therapy with him, and seeing him after, and his face is completely different. Like it, it, it's hardened and cold and closed off and then seeing them in just this relaxation after going through this process, like seeing you can see a physical transformation in a, in a person is really amazing. Yeah. You see it in the, in the beginning with Kiki yeah. and the guy yeah. comes up and he says, he said, he's so, he's like, may I touch your jaw? Yeah. Like it's, Yo, dude, it's yeah. so awesome that he's so asking tense. permission. He's asking consent for like, can I, I want to help you. Can I touch you? And so he t- he's just like trying to get him to relax. And you, w- the shot doesn't cut. You just watch it. May I, may I touch your jaw? Just relax your mouth. May I touch it? Trust me. May I touch your jaw? Yes. Okay, relax your mouth. Open it up a little bit. Open it up a little bit. Just relax it. Let it go. And just breathe. Breathe from here. As soon as Kiki's relaxed, he just falls apart. Breaks. He just He just bursts. Well, the, the Kiki scene is up until that point, it was good, but not what it was going to become. That's mm-hmm. the scene that transforms it into, you realize you're watching something you did not expect. Mm-hmm. You see the therapy come through. As soon as that guy gets in his face and says, go there with me, come on, let's go. Yeah. And he looks him in the eyes and you're like, what are they doing? Like, you, It doesn't make sense to you. You don't quite understand what's happening. 
and then by the end of that scene, you get it. And and I think Kiki's one of the ones they have to hold down. I think yeah. he freaks yeah. out. It's, They're it's holding insane. him. It's nuts. I mean, and man, yeah, from there on, it takes off and becomes a completely different experience. Oof. How do we segue after this? Yeah. Like, this could have been well, a whole show. Give me good luck. Let's talk about Despicable Me 3 now. <laughs> My favorite movie of the year. <laughs> Those minions are crazy. Well, I thank you guys for, for going there with me. Like... And I, I know I played hardball a little bit, but... You were right to. If I would have been the first to discover this movie, I would have demanded yeah. everyone Judging watch by it. Lance's yeah. text during it, every man needs to watch this movie. It really does. Yeah. Which I believe is exactly what I had texted to someone while the first time I was watching it. I don't remember. We it might, not, it might not have been you guys. Text. It might have been... I mute you most of the time. All right, give me your number one. All right. My number one movie of the year is one that Hudson's going to talk about in a minute. So for this podcast, it's Hostiles. <laughs> 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 Hudson just, just made, made a motion. Very inappropriate hand yeah. um, <laughs> <and> movement. <laughs> Hostiles, directed by Scott Cooper and starring the ever versatile Christian Bale. The movie, set in the late 1800s, begins with an incredible, sad, and ultra-violent scene of life—just normal life in the West. A family's pretty much all murdered by a group of marauding Comanche, with the mother being the only one to survive. She's played by Rosamund Pike. Then cuts to Captain Joe Blocker, a decorated war veteran being tasked with one last mission before getting to retire. He's asked to escort a Cheyenne war chief named Yellowhawk, who's dying of cancer, back to his ancestral land. Blocker initially refuses because of all the abhorrent acts he's seen in the chief and, and just Native Americans do over the years, but he's forced into it or else he could lose his pension. I hate him. I got a war bag of reasons to hate him. Along the way, they run across the mother, and she joins their party. And you quickly find out along the journey that Blocker has no love lost for the natives. He hates them, and they don't like him. Uh, Blocker surely is a racist, and the film doesn't shy away from any of that. But the rest of the film follows him and his team of people as they try to get the chief home. I saw this movie at the theater when it came out in January of 2018, but it was released technically in 17. But I'd heard a lot of great things about it, and I mean, I loved it. It's hard watch. It's ultra violent, and a lot of the violence is really shocking, and just because it's kind of out of nowhere. But it that, doesn't. That, the violence of that opening scene mm -hmm. is somehow incredibly shocking and really restrained at the same time. Like I was really impressed with how like they could have taken it too far really easily. Mm -hmm. it, that scene is insane and awesome. But if they would just shown any more of it, I would have, I might have turned you it off. Too much. I might have just. Yeah. Been I like, got no. I got five minutes in this movie and that opening scene. I was like, man, they are going for it yeah. here. <laughs> and and I think what it is, Jordan, I see what you're saying. It's what's happening is insane and intense, but it's happening as rap as rapidly and matter of factly as it would have actually happened. Yeah. There's not this big intense death scene. It's like gone. Yeah. yeah gone, there's no standoff. It happens. Yeah, and, it's, and that makes it more chilling. Absolutely. The film doesn't pull any punches to, have, to how violent both the soldiers and how violent the Native Americans are. I mean, I've only seen it once, but it did leave me pretty impacted even you know a year and a half later. Uh, I think what it does a great job is of just, as many of the movies we've talked about tonight, is showing something from a different perspective. Because uh, this shows a lot of the Native American perspective and just how terrible life was you know, in the 1800s and how much of their land was taken. And the film doesn't shy away from any of that. Mm -hmm. Bale, I think, is phenomenal in this movie. I think the whole cast is incredible. Yeah, they're all great. Rosamund Pike mm -hmm. uh, as the mother is great. West Study, Studi from Last Mohicans is great as the mm -hmm. Yellowhawk. Yeah. Bale, really, his character in this film would have uh, been served very well by doing the work from the previous <laughs> movie, I think. Because he's just got this wall of emotions that he can't show, and there's so much yeah. anger and resentment built up with him over the years of just the things he's seen and the things he's done. And there's one 
particular scene in the film that I love where he's at the bedside of a dying soldier, a guy mm -hmm. he's been with. You never let me down, Henry. You never let me down. Not one time. You're always centered, focused. Without you on my flank, likely would have met my fate a long time ago. That's the truth. I hate to think this might be the last time I see you. It's been a real honor, Joe. Serving under you. Ain't many a man that taken me in. I won't soon forget it. You're a good man, Joe. I'll take you in a hundred times over, Henry. It's just uh, phenomenal because he lets his guard down. That's a really beautiful scene. For a minute, and it's beautiful. I've, this movie, this is a really powerful movie. Really well done. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something a little unorthodox here, and I'm gonna make a request of anyone who hasn't seen it and is going to watch it. Turn it and off. I am very serious. Turn it off. Do not watch it to the end. <laughs> and I, I wish I'd, I wish I'd somehow clocked when you need to stop <laughs> this movie. But there, this movie ends, and that's where you need to finish it. It, it like ends again, and it, it completely, huh? Just, do you guys feel that way? Well, I'm gonna say I thought it should have ended five minutes into it. <laughs> oh wow! So I had a very different opinion on this film. I, I like I said, first five minutes, uh, it sucked me in. Ten minutes later, it spit me right back out. <laughs> I, wow. I didn't. Yeah, this movie just didn't go anywhere interesting to me that I felt like I hadn't seen before. I, I mean, I kind of felt like I was watching Dances with Wolves all over again. I didn't feel like any new territory was discussed. You know, explored. It, it just didn't do anything. I'll tell you one problem I had with it was, which was a technical issue. Was it just me or was the sound terrible in this movie? Like, I couldn't understand anything Christian Bale was saying. It felt like they were, every, every character was having this battle to talk about how much they could mumble under their breath. <laughs> nah, and I, I finally I finally had to turn the... And the problem was I would turn it way, way up, and then a gunshot would happen. <laughs> it was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> so I, I kept having to mess with the line. Finally, I had to turn the, like... Um, I think I watched the whole thing with subtitles. You did. It, I, it, I should have done that. It's possible that the sound wasn't doing it. You wouldn't have noticed it as much. Yeah. That drove me crazy. I couldn't understand what Bale was saying. I watched it the at the theater, and I had... No problems understanding what they're saying. Hmm. Well, because I didn't watch this movie, I have to give um, some kind of factoid that I found online. <laughs> but this is actually a really cool one, especially for screenwriters. So the screenwriter died in 1999. His wife was cleaning out the house to move. She discovered this script uh, that he had written a long time ago. It had never shopped anywhere. And so she got it made long after he had passed. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. I feel kind of bad now. Well, I mean, he's not around to hear all the talking. I feel even worse. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I really, I really liked it. Quick shout out at the end of this to one Jesse Plemons, who's Started been in three in all of these movies. <laughs> if you at least if you three if, of our twelve films. If you don't know who that is, go to IMDb or somewhere and look him up, and you will know exactly what we're talking <laughs> yeah. about. Yeah, 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 it's amazing. Landry from Friday Night Lights, he's great. All right, Lance, number one. There are few more daunting tasks for a filmmaker than to make a sequel to a classic, not to mention few more ill-advised things for a filmmaker to do. And for a film as beloved as Ridley Scott's 1982 Blade Runner, this is even more true, as sci-fi fans are particularly unforgiving of having their toys played with the wrong way. Hudson and I were actually at the Comic-Con panel where they introduced my next film, Blade Runner 2049, the Denise Villeneuve sequel starring Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford. Villeneuve recognized the risk he was taking and said, I know that every single fan will walk into the theater with a baseball bat. I'm aware of that and I respect that and it's okay with me because it's art. 
Art is risk and I have to take risks. It's gonna be the biggest risk of my life, but I'm okay with that. And I remember the whole time sitting there doing that panel and thinking what a bad idea this was. <laughs> I didn't really see how the original could be approved upon or expanded or why it was necessary and it felt like an unnecessary cash grab. Well, I was wrong. This movie was fantastic and I thought was a very worthy sequel to the original. And for any Blade Runner fans out there, let me be clear, I'm not saying it's, it's as good or better because I don't think it is, but this is definitely not a film that tarnishes anything about the first one. The story takes place 30 years after the original where a new Blade Runner named Officer K, played by Ryan Gosling, who is himself a replicant, which for those not familiar with Blade Runner is basically a robot that is indistinguishable from a human, stumbles upon a secret of a potential breakthrough in replicant technology that could threaten to turn society on its head. I'm not going to say what that breakthrough is because it's kind of a key plot point. This leads him on a search for Rick Deckard, Harrison Ford's character from the first film who hasn't been seen or heard from for 30 years. Watching this film made me think a lot about how you successfully follow up a classic without messing up. And where I think I ended up is that you have to balance a new story that still effectively maintains and incorporates major elements from the original. And that is a really tricky balance to walk. A really good example of it would be the latest Avengers movie. They tell a naturally organic story that extends what we're already interested in, but they also let us go back to what we love by literally revisiting events from the first film via time travel. A bad example and this will be controversial, would be the latest Star Wars movies, which I would argue have strayed in both directions. In Episode 7, they literally just rehashed the plot from the original Star Wars and gave us nothing new. Then course corrected in Episode 8 to basically eliminate everything we love from the original Star Wars, so now that moving forward, it doesn't feel like we're watching anything tied to what made the Star Why Wars Why can't you just great. talk about your movie instead of ripping on a movie that I love? <laughs> it, it links in. <laughs> oh, okay. From a visual perspective, this film is beautiful, as villainous films often are. It completely captures the look and feel and oddities and scorched beauty of the first film. But it also expands the story while bringing back the things we love from the first one. That well-walked balance is what puts it on my list. I am right there with you. I absolutely loved this film. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was deep. Yeah, somehow Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Uh, Denis? Denis Villeneuve. Denis I'm a major fan of his, especially after um, Arrival. Arrival, which was my favorite film of that year, previous year. But just visually and his ability to to explore these kind of deep themes that, that this movie... like I was just wanted to disappear into this world and just go along for the ride and that's what I totally did with this movie. Maybe seeing it in the theater would have been a totally different experience for me. It was great. I I, mean, oh, I, I, sh I should say also that I'm not a big original Blade Runner fan. Like I think it's fine, but I have no that's not sacred at all right. to me, so I could go into this with a completely open mind and absolutely loved it. And plus, you know, I like Ryan. I, Ryan I should Gosling point out also, I I really like the original Blade Runner, but when I think of like my favorite 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 movies of all time, I'm not in that huge Blade Runner. I'm I'm not either. either. I really like it. I've seen it many times, but I'm not even sure I love it. But I really like it. I really love to watch it. But uh, I'm in the same boat as both of you, except that I didn't like this movie at all. I mean, I thought it was gorgeous, Un like stunning. Yeah. The guy knows how to make a I movie. I mean, it w well, Deacons. Yeah, Deacons. Did it too. Well, and and, and it, it is beautiful. And the visually, it's like Gibby talks about watching There'll Be Blood mm. without the sound on. Like, I, I, when I think about this movie now, I'm like, oh man, I could totally watch that without the sound on right now. It just didn't work for me. It felt like watching, it, it was boring. It felt like watching paint dry on the Mona Lisa or something. <laughs> like it was beautiful, but uh, not, it just didn't connect with me mm -hmm. at all. And it felt so slow. It's also super long. And I don't, I don't complain about slow. I love slow movies. I love long movies. I love all that. And it just felt, 
I think to put my finger on it, it allowed too much space for my brain to run off while I was watching it. Mm. So I'm watching Gosling like slowly walk across this gorgeous room. And I'm like, why is he walking so slow? <laughs> he doesn't need to be walking that slow. Oh, what's rim. that over there? Oh, I need to do this for yeah. tomorrow. And it just didn't, it didn't work for me. I don't, I don't disagree with a lot of what you just said. I think there, there was something about the pacing. It, it was too long. I mean, it didn't need to be as long as it was. But I think kind of what Hudson said is the reason that didn't bother me. I got so immersed in that yeah. world. I didn't mind them meandering around in a little bit. To me, some of my favorite movies are the ones that you you put on and disappear into. Mm-hmm. And totally. And, and to me, a movie can never feel too long in that. When you're going for the experience, and it's it's very different than and I and I can't think of a movie off the top of my head that's kind of like Cloud Atlas. Maybe is like that where you don't have to follow the plot necessarily. You just want to be in this world and you want to feel a mood more so than a kind of up and down yeah. uh, plot. And I I enjoy that but it is a movie that has a plot yeah and it allowed so much room for my brain to work that my brain worked out a lot of the plot before we got to the plot which is not a thing I try to do it is but don't you feel like and not nearly to the degree that 2049 was but don't you feel like the first Blade Runner did a little bit of that a little bit of self-indulgent meandering around the world Uh, I felt there was some of that too yes and I think and I think that the first one suffers from being somewhat unclear mm. on what the actual <laughs> plot right, is right, or, or right. what's happening. Uh, and I think that's part of the problem. with. I think it's why there are so many cuts of the original is I think mm. that Ridley Scott and whoever else is working on it has been is always trying to figure out what it is. What's the right balance? It wouldn't surprise yeah. me if this one ended up being recut several times over the next 20 mm. years. Villeneuve is actually, he got that question, are you going to make five more recuts? He goes, nope. That's it. That's all I. <laughs> yeah. That's all I wanted. And even even after Scott had made the first one, there were all sorts of like back and forth, and so that that well, and that the first one wasn't really. his cut. He right. I mean, there's a, a lot more story to that, but it is gorgeous, and I and I would be willing to watch it again. And I, I think maybe watching it with some people that that love it and like sort of watching it a little bit more from their perspective, I could totally talking about yeah, it afterwards. Yeah, all it, would, that. it would be. A little bit more. And, and I, 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 I don't. I know. I kind of just said this. I don't mean to be. But I want to emphasize it. Like it's such a hard line to walk when you are revisiting a beloved movie. Absolutely. So many things you got to do right. So many easy places to mess it up. And I really loved how they came up with a new story that expanded, but were able to go back and bring just enough back from the original to make you go, I'm watching a Blade Runner movie. Every time I, I go back to one of these, like an alien, if I'd see another alien, I need to feel like I'm watching an alien movie. Right. I don't yeah, want to. Yeah. I don't want to see the same story again, and that's a that's a tricky balance. But absolutely. But I need to feel like I'm watching an alien movie, and that's what I loved about this movie. I did not think I was gonna feel like I was watching a Blade Runner movie. But at the same time, if they hadn't brought Harrison Ford into it, I wonder if I would have liked it more. And I love Harrison Ford, mm. but like it was also Harrison Ford in there, and not. It Decker. was, but but he was a pretty critical part of the. Are you mean the character or the or the actual actor? I mean, I, more, Deckard was kind of important to the plot. Uh, line. No, ab- absolutely. But Harrison Ford is kind of distracting for me at yeah, this point. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's a funny story know. from the um, the Comic Con panel Hudson and I were in. A, uh, a guy got up and asked Harrison Ford, who was there. He said, "Mr. Ford, is it your goal to remake every <laughs> character you did from the 1980s?" <laughs> and everybody kind of gasped, like, "What is Harrison <laughs> Ford going to do?" And he gets all this took like a, like a minute. It felt like Harrison was gearing up for response. And he looks at me, and he goes, "You bet your ass, I am." <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, you know, you say Villeneuve. Villeneuve took quite the risk remaking remaking this one or making a sequel. His next movie's Dune, and that's got a huge yeah, that's cult following too. Yeah, he's he's definitely taking another big risk. It'll be really interesting. I like him taking risks. He's doing pretty good. All right, now to my number one pick. 
for the year. Here's the deal. Christopher Nolan. I feel like that could just be my whole review. Uh, like, <laughs> uh, literally no one on, is on the same playing field as Nolan right now with his ability to play on such large canvases, telling deeply moving and thematically rich stories while entertaining us, and then to receive such critical acclaim and break box office records along the way. He's in the business of creating grand scale art, and business is booming. Uh, just a quick, <laughs> just just a quick. Did this movie actually like how well did this movie? Oh, it made I, a it lot did. of money. Okay. So just a quick rundown. He redefined a superhero movie with the Dark Knight trilogy. He gave us a wholly unique vision with his sci-fi heist flick Inception. He gave us a mind-blowing sci-fi film that also pulled on the heartstrings in Interstellar. And now, a little too hard. He's explored one of the most unique war movies I've ever seen in Dunkirk. So the plot is well known if you can recall from your history books. It follows the rescue <laughs> and evacuation of over three hundred thousand Allied troops after they are cut off and surrounded by the German army on the beaches of Dunkirk, France. It's an amazing piece of history, but what makes the story unique uh, in this case is its storytelling device. It follows three stories over three different timelines all intercut with each other. Over the course of one week, we follow Tommy, a young British private who is the sole survivor from his troop who is attempting to swing the odds in his favor of being rescued, all the while dodging bombs and machine gun fire. Over the course of one day, we follow a, a mar mariner, mariner named Mr. Dawson, the always brilliant Mark Rylance, who along with his teenage son Peter and friend George are recruited by the Royal Navy to go to Dunkirk and help rescue those who are stranded. And over the course of one hour, we follow a squadron pilot named Ferrier, played by Tom Hardy with his face covered for most of the film. Yeah, why does Christopher Nolan hate Tom Hardy's face <laughs> and well, voice? Tom Hardy so beautiful. Face and voice. Yeah. So he's a fighter pilot as he attempts to take down uh, other German fighter pilots and bombers. So this is epic storytelling on a grand scale. It's giant and gorgeous and romantic but it's also not a traditional film where you meet a character and you learn their goals and watch them pluck out of their average lives to go on an adventure. Instead, Nolan plops you right in the middle of the action and you're mm -hmm. forced to keep up. That's yeah, something I mean, it I'm, starts I'm, off right in the middle of an action. It's... Yeah. yeah, and it's something I'm struck it, by is that there's no, this word has different connotations, but there's no narrator in this movie. Oh, no. Like there's no there's narrator no character who you're, I mean, you're following these guys, but they're not yeah. having conversations that tell us anything. You're just really like thrown in there. And, and if you and, were to tell me that, I was like, oh, well that, I mean, that's interesting, but that doesn't sound like a great movie. But the fact that it works so well is right. the miracle yeah. He's of this He's film. able to tell the story with how he's cutting and how just yeah, what yeah. you're seeing. And, and the almost, sound is a huge part It's almost like too, Christopher Nolan huge. is the star of the film right the filmmaking is the star of this film right i and think for filmmakers yes if yeah. you were to walk into this and just blink for 30 seconds you would miss where how he sets up how each story is told well we watched very, it we very were, quick we were watching it last night and i kept like snoozing mm -hmm. for like a minute or two and i'd seen it before and loved it and last night i was like what is happening in this movie i'm so get, confused yeah, get here? yeah. yeah the, you, you mentioned there was no narrator there, there's no real thorough context either as to what they're facing mm -hmm. the the I, germans and the nazis are not seen yeah, hardly I don't, I don't at all think we see, do do we see them at all? Uh, at the very, very end when they're arresting Tom. But oh, I mean, yes, that's blurry. Yes. So in essence, no. I mean, we see, see their, their planes. planes we, bombers, see the, their we see bullets. their bullets hitting people. Right, right. I'm a huge history buff, and the story of Dunkirk has always been fascinating to me. It's one of the great real-life you know, stories of heroism and good versus evil. But the first time I saw this movie, I didn't like it, and it was for that reason. I wanted to see the whole story. Yeah. We you watched it last you night. You to watch Darkest Hour. Yeah. Right well, well what, was, what yeah. was funny was, like Jordan said, we actually all watched this together last night. Well, I fell asleep. Three of us watched Well, okay. Um 
we watched it together and I had a whole review written for this that I had to rewrite because most of what I was saying was, here's why I didn't like it. I need to watch it again. <laughs> I rewrote it and it was true. I needed to rewatch it again and understand that the true character of this story to me is not Nolan of the filmmaking or these individual people. It's the British people. Mm-hmm. That's really who the film is about and mm-hmm. who it's a tribute to and the bravery that happened in that event. And, and real quick, I knew nothing of this story. I'm not a history buff at all and I saw it basically just because it's Christopher Nolan. I wanted right. to see the new Nolan film. Right. The fact that I was so engaged with it on such a level without knowing anything about that. So just if you're listening and you're like, oh, I'm just not a history guy, I'm not a war guy, it's still yeah, very irrelevant. much engaging. Yeah, yeah. yeah and for, if you don't know the story of Dunkirk, just the quick summary of it is that it was the Nazis had pushed the German and French, uh, or not the uh, British and French soldiers, to literally the brink of the continent. They were on the beach about to be slaughtered. And the British people, you know, weakened sailors, people with sailboats, yachts, came across the English Channel to save their boys, basically. Yeah, to get pushed, them back. Pushed all the way to the edge to the beach where just just over some water is their home. Right. And they're on the pier, many of them. I mean, they're trying desperately to get away from the beach and it was turning into a, a, a slaughterhouse on that Very beach. much expected that most of them would not make it back Correct. home. And because of that event, that allowed the British to regroup. That allowed the Americans to have time to come into the war and that's what turned the tide of the war. Had Dunkirk gone differently, we're all speaking German possibly mm-hmm. today. So you're watching very important historical events. The second viewing for me, I realized that I didn't see the Nazis because Nolan's not telling that story. No, he doesn't not. care about the Nazis. And in a way, it almost made it scarier to never really see them. Yeah. It's the classic horror movie trope like Jaws. We don't see the shark until well, he actually, later in the movie. I, I read that he had all these mechanical Nazis and they weren't working. <laughs> they weren't working. So he couldn't so, show yeah, them. Yeah, he just cut those shots. Uh, my one complaint with this movie, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, is the narrative structure is fascinating. And I saw it more and more once I understood. The first time I saw this movie, I didn't know that's what he was doing it's and, a, it, it does take you a minute it's a little confusing it did, no it took me till the second viewing yeah <laughs> I, I didn't know what you're smart time, you would really <laughs> I, I didn't know I didn't I had no idea what was going on yeah. I thought it, these were just concurrent stories and yeah. I think Nolan I, maybe I'm just really stupid I don't know but I, I suspect I was not alone there he does not do a very good job making clear here's here's this takes one week this takes mm-hmm. like I, I think that could have been done a little bit better I think it would have felt so clunky yeah it wouldn't have like pushed you right into that. It would have been it would have been like explaining that. Yeah. There's there's zero exposition in this movie, and you know in fact the the script is only like sixty or seventy pages, which I, is amazing because a movie yeah. this length is usually hundred and twenty pages. Script. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not calling for more exposition. I, I'm and I, I don't know what the answer is. I yeah. don't know if we needed a crawl saying this story will take one week, but basically all it does is it says it, does. it says the name of the story week. and then it says one week. Well, I didn't know what that meant. Right. Like was that a week until something happened? Was that a, was yeah. that a week after something had happened? It it meant nothing to me but understanding that makes the story so much more powerful because we start to see characters intertwine in the different stories we see what had just happened to someone happened later that made the film so much more fascinating and that was totally lost on me the first mm-hmm. time around hmm. and it, it's kind of hard in this movie to differentiate between the soldiers because they all look oh, very yeah. similar the the land portion of the movie like at the end they all look like yeah, uh harry styles they all look like harry styles well, and then they all get quite wet. a whole turn in this movie yeah. and and all they all these get guys wet, wet they get the oil way. on yeah. them and oh, it's yeah. hard to tell like, and i think he did that on purpose just to show you how confusing war is oh yeah Point. And, and the way that Nolan pulls it all together just in the final five minutes, the three concurrent stories just ending in the same timeline is fascinating to me. Uh, 
I, and I, get I didn't, choked I up didn't every love time the this. ending because it felt like he was tying I meant, it all I up for me. And I, I, it is kind of annoying to me, but I loved the rest of it so much that, and I know endings tend to ruin movies for me, but mm. this one, it, it really didn't because it was so, it wasn't ruining. It just was a little, meh. One of the most powerful parts of the ending to me was the ending of the Tom Hardy story. Yeah. Where yeah. it's, everybody doesn't necessarily get a happy. Now right. we don't know what's yeah. going to oh, happen yeah. to him. Yeah. We're not totally sure, but, but with, you know, the, the country is now rallied. There is hope, you know, Kenneth Branagh's character is going to stay and help the friend. I mean, mm-hmm. Tom Hardy, who knows? It's people lost, people died, people... It shows us all these different outcomes, and I didn't necessarily feel like it was tightly packaged at the end. Yeah, it's not... Maybe not tightly packaged. And, you just and mean maybe, kind of thematically, like the voiceover at the end and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and maybe it was Which more that... The movie's, what, 92 minutes yeah, or something? For a, maybe I just, like, was irritated that it was over, and then I, like, <laughs> yeah. wanted it to be... I think that's you know, a great two point. Two hours or two and a half hours of, of being in this world. Yep. In a year where I thought there were a lot of great images on screen, that scene of... Of Tom Hardy's plane just flying over the beach so with no uh-huh. engine. I mean, that to me, I think was, was the most beautiful. Well, and the sound, the sound the is so full right. in that whole movie. The sound is so yeah. full. And, well, it kept and waking me up last night. So. <laughs> it was so loud. It was but loud the sound is so full. But then yeah. in those shots where the plane's going over, it's, it's so quiet. Yeah. And it's it's so effective. It's There's it, it, Even the little bit of talking was cool. Like it, the little word they use. I don't know why this was so cool to me, but one of the scenes is where they're in a dog fight. It's Tom Hardy and his like sidekick or whatever. And there's a German plane and it gets on the tail of his sidekick. And the, and the guy goes, he's on me. I'm on him. It just little yeah. like it was so badass to me. Yeah. Like just and little things I, like that. I imagine it's exactly what it was like. He's all like red five, red five. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Stay on target. Yeah. If you if you <laughs> have on target. If you haven't seen this, watch I noticed it. this last night when I would watch it, first of all. But when I rewatched it again, to me the key scenes are the air scenes. Because they right. tend to happen about 20 minutes before any other scenes like like what's going on in that scene is ahead of what's going on mm. in the rest of the movie so yeah. when you watch that and see what's happening mm. you see it catch back up later in the film but i, I love this movie this was i mean actually yeah. i love all great the film it's a very great very work. well done experiment in filmmaking made 525 million dollars that's there a lot that's a lot of money Alrighty, uh what are you guys excited about i'm excited about being halfway through recording season three finally yeah. it's yeah. only taken two years or whatever it's been <laughs> we've had a lot of things happen in that time it's been a very busy time and and we i mean i'm not in any way happy or pleased that it's taken this long but so you guys are probably listening to this in 2023 <laughs> but well, let, let me say this i think most projects the people making it would have just a year ago or a year and a half have been like no, yeah not. well that fizzled out and died but like we're really we're excited still we trying to make this happen this. Yep. because we love doing it we love you guys do you think christopher nolan made dunkirk in a short shorter amount of time than we have recorded <laughs> this season <laughs> maybe steven spielberg definitely made the post in a shorter amount yeah. of time good comment jordan i agree my excited about is i just finished watching the hbo series chernobyl and it was fantastic mm. and i cannot wait to go back and heard watch good it again things. it's wonderful i've i've wonderful is not the word i've used to describe it because i've heard it's incredibly disturbing and challenging. Oh, it is. It, it is all of those things. I mean, it's wonderful in hilarious. that way. If that's what you're looking for. Not hilarious, for oh. sure. Uh, here's what I'm excited about, and this is going to be old news by the time this episode airs, but uh, this upcoming week, Toy Story 4. I am P-U-M-P-E-D pumped. I've heard that it's the funniest of the four and also the most emotional of the four, so there's a chance. Who have you heard this How from? is that the, possible? The, the promotional people from yeah. Toy Story 4? On the commercials, it says, says most emotional. <laughs> Tim Allen said that. 
uh, Tom Hanks said they couldn't get through the script, and once they did, they just called each other crying. It's uh, it's I'm gonna, I'm gonna be excited. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk That's about what I'm excited about. <laughs> I'm gonna talk about a book. It's a real quick read, but I really enjoyed it. This book called Every Heart a Doorway. The author I'll, will not be able to pronounce their name. Shannon McGuire. No anyways, one else will either because you didn't talk into the mic. Anyways, it's a pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> it is a uh, a neat uh, setup for a, a story where it's a home for girls and boys who have gone to other worlds and come back to our world and they don't know how to deal with coming oh, back cool. to reality. So they're all in this home and then kind of a murder happens in this mystery. It's just a really fun book, really quick read. It's kind of a novella. I'm highly recommended. Are they, is it World We Know? Like they went no, no, no. They're, they're all made up ones. But it's stuff like like you recognize, oh, she kind of went to a Wonderland type of place or whatever. Gotcha. Yeah, it's cool. That's cool. We're going to Dunkirk, George. Yeah, one of them went to Dunkirk. <laughs> We're going to Dunkirk, George. I'll be useful, sir. All right. All right we'll thanks, we'll guys. see you guys in a little bit. Well, bye. Bye. <laughs> this is Ray Romano. Let us know how your list differs at, at FightAboutFilm on Facebook and Twitter. Or email us at FightAboutFilm at gmail.com. Please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Four Friends Fight About Film is produced by the Brothers Ray in Atlanta, Georgia. This episode was recorded and edited by Jordan Noel. I'm tired. I want to sleep. <laughs>